0: I it up it
1: up fit it up it up fit it up it up
2: Welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and for house today, Mr. Martin Theobald. I've just noticed your hair's gone wild. Like, yeah, I just took my jumper off.
1: Gone yeah. wild in the country with snakes in the grass. It's like he's auditioning for like a, a part in the new Lion King film. Or, or Duran Duran.
2: <laughs> 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 and that or is probably the the, reunion, not of the, of the original. Mr. Terry Chapandama. They've gone through a wind tunnel. <laughs> Proper 80s. Um... Uh, yeah interesting start to the podcast we have a full house today um and so, well i say full house to some extent is a full house but in other way in other words well people are not going to be quite as they're going to be more accustomed to a more vicious martin i suspect than the one that's going to be able to be
1: uh on this podcast why no i love everyone in boxing and i'm <laughs> positive about everything in boxing and nobody can ever report me to anyone for anything else other than that so congratulations the moment new age became ring talk
2: congratulations to martin uh having passed in his second exam on when was it thursday
1: that last saturday because i did it last saturday oh
2: sorry and you published it this week that's why i
1: wasn't here last week. i was so boxing out by sunday who was on there? was elena on there as well northern irish girl yes because she's going to be training her husband. Yeah, yeah, I was chatting with her. She's a um, really nice girl, Irish lady. Hard as nails. Yeah, like, yeah. Un, un pretty much unbeatable. She did the Commonwealth as well. Yeah, Ches's wife. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we, we don't mention him anymore. Like, I like him, but he got a gift in the ABAs. for a long memory. Um, so yeah, uh, no, it was, uh, there were a few people. You're a quali-
2: there? You, you passed your seconds exam. Yeah. So yeah. can you count to 10 seconds?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I think all of Twitter can as there's been evidence in this week
2: either you can or can't count to 10 seconds uh, so for those of us um, who are on the more cash side what does that mean it means you can work in a corner of a professional
1: fight um, not be the head trainer so but. explain
2: to us what happens in a corner you've got a person who but steps- never
1: watched a fight
2: <laughs> I still want to know
1: so the worst case scenario, you can be. But essentially, the second is usually the one that's like being raw about it. The one that's there with a kind of spit bucket on the outside, washes the gum shield.
2: Who was Fury's second?
1: Uh, Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so his head trainer was Ben Davison, and then he had Hatton and Freddie Roach along with him. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can kind of be there in the corner. Now, it could be that you end up having to work it. So... You can be the cut man. I mean, a cut man isn't a role as such. It's just a second who's particularly skilled in that area of what they're doing. Um, so it can it can take on multiple roles within the, the corner team. But um, yeah, that means I'm, I'm qualified to, to be in a
2: corner team. Well, congratulations. That's that's an achievement in itself. Now you've got to use it before it gets taken away for you making slanderous comments.
1: Mm-hmm. I might be the first person not to use it. Which would be an incredible, <laughs> incredible achievement. Um, but that no, is it's a really interesting process. Like you go before the area council and have a, an interview with them and they grill you. I think I said at the time, like, yeah. it's the most awkward interview you'll ever have. Um, and I've spoken with various people who have been to the same kind of interviews. And again, they have the same experience of it. Um, and then you go along for the day and it was at um, uh, Needsden Amateur Club. Uh, which we're IQ Boxing's based out of as well, and you do the course there, and then you do first aid training, and you sit an exam, and uh, I won't give away what they teach you because I'm sure I'd probably be chastised for doing so. <laughs> but yeah, that no, is a really interesting process. I'm not really sure even what I'll do with it. Like I, I know what you can do with it, but I don't have ambitions of working like a 100 corners in my life or whatever. I just It's something I fancied going through the process of doing And finding out what it's like, and I'd like to help. I don't know one, two boxes, or whatever. I've got a mate who um, works a few of the kind of foreign journeyman corners down at York Hall. He said, "I'll come along with me for the experience." Come along, I'm like, cool. Mm -hmm. That'd be good. Like go and see the full process through that and what he does, Um, and then maybe help out with like a specific couple of upcoming boxes or whatever. That essentially just be a free pair of hands for somebody in the corner. I don't. You know, again, as with all these things in box, I don't do it or have aspirations to make a penny out of it. I just want to do it to be there. And,
2: so uh, in terms of, like, uh, let's use the Fury example as it's fresh in the mind. So if you're... You compare me to Freddie Roach, but <laughs> If you're Ben Davidson um, in that scenario, you obviously you're the trainer of the boxer, but is there a different course you have to go on in order to be... The head uh, trainer. Yeah, to step in the ring or... Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: so the... the the second course i was on there's a second day to that which the lady you were just saying about was doing uh and a lot of them were which is to be that it's a second trainer course essentially oh, okay. so the second day is to be the trainer the head trainer of it um but again i don't have aspirations to be doing that mine's more about just kind of helping lending a hand somewhere for someone um but yeah that's that's a separate course uh in itself
2: and um just uh, just finally on the when you said about the cut man do you would that be something so you don't go on a course for being a cut man it's just you just do you just somebody asks you to be their cut man you gain experience just from exposure there there are
1: courses that people run in them but they're not you don't have to have done one to be labeling yourself a cut man uh, there's as many courses as there are YouTube videos kind of thing, Like You could learn it. So Mick Williamson, a, who was What the, you got a
2: razor bed out for? I'm cutting your face. No, you're supposed to stop the cuts. Ah. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you've got like Hatton's old cut, man. And Hatton used to cut quite badly and he's renowned as being one of the, the best. He's got some great videos on YouTube about the, the process and how he used to go about doing it.
2: What? I mean, I just, I have no even idea as to what you can do apart from stick Vaseline on it. Right, like, what? Adrenaline. You put, you put adrenaline; in it, it, it draws the blood away from the site. You're then, allowed to do that.
1: Yeah, one to one thousand mix of adrenaline, Um and you whack it on a, a cotton swab, whack it into the cut, hold it there for as long as possible, and then you know, ten ah. seconds before you're about to go out, you pull it back out, whack the vaseline over. That makes sense. No, I've seen up.
2: them hold a cotton swab to their eye before, and I think to myself. Just take it out, that must be agony. Yeah, so that's <laughs> got adrenaline in it.
1: Ah, beautiful. Okay. A very like, light mix of adrenaline. Yeah, let had to do it too. The cuts? Yeah. Don't fancy it. Uh, the thing is, if you... There's an art to it, isn't there? Like, exactly. So you've got to find the right person. Yeah. And you've got to sit with them. And they've got to talk you through it. So they'll talk you through it. But... When you go live and do, because remember in the amateurs, once you're cut, you're pretty much done because no one knows how to do cuts. Yeah. So if you cut in the amateurs from a head clash, normally it's just waved off. So you don't. It's not really an imperative to do so. I know I do a course on how to do cuts, but you know, while you do that, unless you get super good, then you would just so you could do someone's corner who's famous, right? That's what. That's if you like you say about Freddie Roach. There are a load of head trainers who will be seconds in big fights because their fighters is a good at, we'll say at national level. So you're an American champion, NABF, or whatever it is. But if you want to do a Mayweather corner, you can't go in as head trainer, obviously. But if you've got a special skill set, like Floyd had the same guys around him and all those guys had fighters around them. So it's a good way to to get to some of the big fights. if you If you've got a specialist skill, if you can... You can do cuts if you can wrap hands, especially. Yeah. So someone like Terry Stewart, who uh, he trains like Linus, do people will be aware of? Hopefully, for listening to this, he's also James De Gale's cut man. Um, oh, so you'll no. see him in all of his fights in the corner, yeah. They're like Vaseline in his face and preparing the cuts. Um, it, it, he doesn't really get that advice, Jimmy Mack that does the training of De but Terry Stewart has been with him for years doing that role. And and you, so- and you need to, it's, it's like medicine. The skill set's not complex. Everyone has the same skills. It's whether you've seen that thing before. Yeah. So someone like a Terry Stewart who's been around for ages, he's probably seen every kind of cut. So he can almost, what you call Topography of a cut. So he'll know what to do. Whereas I'd be there like, yeah, I know what you taught me to do. Yes. I'm going to have a go. I've watched it I'm on YouTube. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's that degree of confidence because I tell you what, when you're 100% confident, a minute feels like an hour. When you have no confidence that you can do it, a minute feels like a second. And uh, the guy who was running the course, one of the uh, board members, and um, he was like, as we were going through the cup man role, if you like, and he was giving examples and uh, he said, I can't remember which fight it was, but he was saying whether the uh, like the head trainer gets in at the end of the round, he sees that there's a cut so they're all preparing for a cut to like when that round ends and you're going to get that minute well I'll say minute 50 seconds essentially to deal with it Um and the fighter comes back at the end of the round and get the stool out sit him down he sits down the trainer steps between the ropes looks at him and goes fucking hell that's bad isn't it <laughs> <laughs> at which point his fighter's like <laughs> <laughs> and kind of throws the whole thing where you need that element of calmness, as Terry says, to have seen it before and go, Okay, right, let's deal with this problem that we've got on our yeah, hands.
2: Yeah, and also that like the experience to know that you don't say that to someone. But yeah. Because you know, you might gut reaction is wow. Right, well, I'll try my best, but Christ, that's big. <laughs> and you've got Blokes- a sellotape. Yeah. <laughs> Blokes ass falls out straight away. Okay, well that's so a, that was an interesting uh, interesting Dave it. I
1: was boxing out by that point. Boxinged um, out. Oh yeah, I was at the the Goodwin show, the one Terry it off last week. Um uh, yes, <laughs> stand by it. No, but, no. But no. you left you left when Linus, I think it was a Linus fight. No, I saw the whole Linus fight. I was there. But then you left before the three title fights? That's fine. That's but that's enough. like that's like slagging off a comedian cuz a no. warm up act wasn't any good. No, no, it's like no, no, it's like being in a restaurant. Mad. No, it's like being in a restaurant that starts the shit. And you walk out. But that's the same as any card. Like, no, 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 no. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Are we being objective here? Because... Absolutely. Okay. Because run through that. No, let, let's run through it fight by fight, right? Yes. Linus <laughs> fought a kickboxer who had fought three times. Linus has fought 10 times up until that point. That's not a serious fight. As much as I like Linus, we can agree that's not a serious fight. How, a- how's Ossie Jervier fighting for anything? What's he done to earn any kind of shot or anything? He hasn't. He's a Goodwin fighter. It was a house show. It was a house fight. Fair enough. So... Where are these interesting fights? McIntyre. What did I say to you about McIntyre? Did I tell you he's going to get touched up again? And this will be the end of it. There you go. It, it wasn't a good card. It was a poor card. And I stand by that. I also stand by what I said about the Goodwin Stable not being that good. Like, Wadi and that accepted. Linus Brad on the way up, accept that. But there's some trash in the middle. And let's be honest, there is some trash in the middle. <laughs> yeah? There was a conversation I had with Steve which on Ring Talk this week, which your favorite program, I know it is deep down. Um yeah, we were discussing and like he asked me the question how many of the stable do you think shouldn't be professional boxers? And like it's quite an interesting subject of What is the level that you would deem that you would say somebody should be a professional boxer? Like, if they can't hit that level, they
2: shouldn't be. I'd say, if they can sell enough tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'd be one of those ruthless knobheads who runs promotions. If they they pay for themselves, I'm happy.
0: (laughs) You'd just
1: get
2: Fournier in your card, wouldn't you? Every
1: time. Fournier would pay for everyone. If you let me fight, I'll pay for everyone's purse. Make it a party show. And the belts as well.
2: He's in some serious, <laughs> look, look, serious look, look. trouble at the moment. Just wheel him look. to the ring. I don't
1: care. Look. No, no. I was given an abridged version of your discussion around who should be boxing, who shouldn't be boxing. Steve, on the, on the board website, Steve has what? 80-something fighters attached to his name? 80-something fighters. Could you name all of them? You could probably come close, actually. But you can't name all of them. I was like, I don't know who the fuck these people are. See, my view, because I said to him, and I was quite honest, I said 25 to 30% of the stable probably shouldn't be. That's based on the view that you're going to hit a southern area. Like, you. to be a professional boxer, you ought to be able to, by your 10th to 15th fight, contest a well-matched, decent southern area fight. Mm-hmm. I think that's a reasonable explanation of what a, a professional boxer should be. Uh, well, okay, no, no. So I, I'd turn it around and say, it should be well matched and you should be able to be in the away corner and still stand a chance. Yes, of competitively. Yes, because, because otherwise, you know, you get Steve just putting this guy he likes and that guy likes in the yeah, fight. Yeah, So last week you had um, Ricky Little against Jack Hughes, super flyweight Southern Area. If I'm honest, I didn't really have any interest in it It was a cracking little fight. Two little guys that fucking punched holes in one another for 12 or oh, 10 rounds. Um, I had no enthusiasm to watch it before and I had no new respect for both him. Um, Ricky Little rightly won it. Um, but it made me, on the back of that, I never really rated Jack Hughes whatsoever. But I thought, actually, no, I've done him a disservice throughout his career. He did okay in that fight. Um, so he would fall into that lot that I'd say can put up a competitive, well-matched Southern Area fight. So he would cross that threshold of what, what I believe there should be. But there are some there shouldn't be professional. Oh, half his stable's dog shit. I'll put <laughs> it out there. Sorry, I'm, I'm just tired of it because- Well, that's no, effectively no, 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 what Martin said no, anyway, wasn't no, it? Because, no, look, go through the list, right? I'll put Steve in the same category. I'll put guys like Steve Wood, Errol Johnson, and I think we've got to put Johnny Lee Roy in there now as well, haven't we, with the names he's got. So you start to match those guys up and you go, okay, show me their top 10 fighters. And obviously you can debate some of them, but you'll broadly agree on who their top 10 guys are. You're looking at, this is just from a management perspective. You're looking at Steve Wood and you're like, there's some guys there you can see him pushing beyond like English level and up, right? He's got guys on there that he would, I think he manages someone like a Scott Fitzgerald, for example. Steve hasn't got that sort of depth that Steve Wood has at that top level. Because obviously, and Steve, I I imagine he'd say this, he's still building that. Yeah, I think all managers to an extent, all stables go through... I'm quite conscious of making it about Steve because that's not you know no. the, the Steve Goodwin podcast, but all managers to an extent they they go through like harvesting periods, don't they? And they they grow as the older ones retire. You have to refill them with younger ones coming through, and you don't always find out until later on which ones are or aren't good enough to to fill uh, a, a, a spot. Yeah, so, and this was the point I made last week, if you remember. This isn't a Steve Goodwin thing. This is a I've said it to other small hall promoters as well that this product is horse shit and it's horse shit because it goes on the presumption that you know what it takes to be a good fighter. So there are lads floating around all sorts of random small hall shows. Shaka Thompson's a prime example who kid can actually box and can actually fight. Like he gave Jordan Reynolds hell in all in the fights they had. He gave Jordan Reynolds hell. You know he's a guy that gives something like a Troy Williamson hell, but no one knows who he is. He slipped through the cracks, and there has to come a point when, and it's just a rational business decision, is it? Where you have to start saying, "I have to accumulate the best young talent there is out there." The open door thing's cool and it's noble and it makes you a bit left wing in a sport that's traditionally quite right wing and heartless. But what it also means is, by the time it's all kind of drip down to you someone's taking a bite at the top someone's taking a bite in the middle someone's taking a bite at the bottom so then you just end up with excuse me you just end up with what's left how can Mo Pryor have a stronger stable of talented prospects than Steve and how many of his shows go ahead with the main event no no but but look at what he has in his stable like they they should be good win guys they're good fighters they're quality fighters mo's got some great talents there yeah the problem is the the shows don't go as planned um for whatever reasons but i think the root cause of what your issue is it comes down to should these people be given licenses in the first instance I, i don't believe they should and if you speak to most people who bust their ass in the sport they would say the board have to be stricter so because I think I think the for reference it's one in 10 I think they turn down for a license. They turn down w- they turn down one in 10. I think that's what the the going rate is. That's not particularly good considering who's going for licenses. And this is the point. So there's actually a deeper point here and it's if you've noticed in the last 10 years the notion of being a boxer, the notion of being involved in boxing has been watered down so much. I wouldn't disagree with that. That point any fucking scumbag can just show up and do something in boxing. Like me, you have got and, second license, <laughs> and, and what it does is- <laughs> I was about it, to say, it, I know one. <laughs> it devalues it. So you've got, you got that numpty Jake Wood doing that boxing with the stars, <laughs> right? You know, you've got Jake Wood doing boxing with the stars, which in the wider scheme of boxing means nothing, right? And then you've got the other extreme. So you've got all these people. And to be honest, amateur clubs are equally as guilty of it because we do the same bullshit as well. We let all these- you know, mums and their kids are at school and not, they come in and they Instagram themselves hitting the bag. Now they're boxers and they go and tell their friends that. And you're like, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Because I remember when Anthony Small turned pro, that was a huge deal. Because that was someone saying, I back you. I'm going to put some money into you, promote you, develop you with the hope of you going to do great things. And he, he did all right for himself before he got radicalized. When Leon Williams turned pro, That was a big deal as well because it was hard to turn pro in those days. It was really, really hard to turn pro because someone had to back you. Now, let's be honest. Like if I if I lost ten or fifteen kilos, got a license, I could knock on Steve's door and say, "Mate, I'm good for 120 tickets. I'll box in March."
2: I don't. I still can't understand. That that
1: doesn't mean anything. Well, because it, it is Andy. Because you have. Okay, and we're going to come on to this, aren't we? We're to have, you have that Kelbrook Brook card, right? Which has been derided as being garbage. And some of it's right, some of it's wrong, but not an amazing card. But you wouldn't dispute that Kel Brook's a high-level athlete. Do you see what I mean? That's the boxing people engage with. Now, that cab driver and that scaffolder swinging it out because between them they managed to shift 150 tickets or whatever it is that's just a joke that's just that's the hobbyists so And how's a, that any better no, than no. Anthony Fowler beating up an Argentinian at two days notice but you're the guy that's saying the Goodwin show was good this is what I'm trying to say to you this is all degrees of bullshit and these are all the things that need to be addressed there's too much I'm spitting here I don't know what the hell's happening sorry <laughs> Terry's getting violent he's angry uh. No, but there's there's too much of everything. There are too many shows. There are too many people with licenses. There's too much of everything to the point where, as fans, you're just jaded now. Oh, oh, another big fight at York Hall. Oh, another big fight at the Camden Centre. Another big fight at Ponds Forge. You're like, bloody hell, why is everything <laughs> do or die, repeat or revenge? What would be the solution? What would you propose? Me? Like, start I'll- again? No, do you know what? I'd sit with the board and I'd go, right, you renew these things what every year or so. Let's start being strict on the criteria. I like what they're doing with the brain scan thing yeah. where they don't feel comfortable with a brain scan. They're erring on the side of course. There's a lot of them that get rejected, brain scans. It's not to say they're going to be rejected forever. It's just that there's a, yes. something that's different to last year's yeah. and therefore they want a second opinion or they want clarification on why that is. And so they just do an initial like put this on hold go and get the clarification. If it's cool, fine, come back and See, that I like, yeah? So all you need to do is extend that line of thinking and then you go, okay, you guys have to go through an interview to get a license. In that interview, you just ask a very simple question. Okay, you want to box? Have you boxed before? Yes, where did you box? Okay, can you bring your card with you? If you've got more than one card, bring your card. Let's have a look at your record. Not hard. You can go through that record and if you're seeing everyone that comes in for a license, you can spot, oh, this guy fought Fowler, fought Langford, fought Callum Smith conversely i'm not saying like i'm not saying that you're wrong about it by any means but you lose then lee purdy nick blackwell i'm okay with that we don't need him (laughs) but what do we need him for if anything i think nick blackwell has shown everything that indicates he had a poor sense of judgment anyway so i have no qualms in kicking people out the sport We don't owe anyone anything in boxing. Life doesn't owe you anything. You have no right
2: to this. If you make something, let's, I'm going to use the word elite. If you make it that way, then you risk losing people um, that can't, wouldn't go, wouldn't. There's some, some kids out there that will struggle with the idea of walking into a boxing gym right because they'll find mm-hmm. it intimidating or because they sh- they uh, they don't have the confidence to to access it mm-hmm. until it becomes mainstream and as as easy as any other sport right
1: not true but boxing boxing you can't walk into a gym the punches feel the same no matter how much bullshit they talk to you about the sport those punches still but the feel concept the same.
2: of it will be intimidating for some kids or nah. is if. Well, the
1: NBA, for example, you can't just be an NBA player, right? You can't just be LeBron James. LeBron James had to be good when he was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, yeah, but, until he jumped over. But that's
2: like having, if we had a world, bo- if, for example, if we had a world boxing super series where all the, all the boxers were in one framework and you had boxers, I don't know, maybe promoted and relegated out of it, I can understand that. Boxing's so open. There's
1: no promotion and relegation in basketball it's the same franchises they what it is is the franchises are sufficiently valuable that they can determine the entry criteria so pull it down from that so i've got a mate who plays semi-pro football and it's semi-pro in the loosest sense of the term um i'm talking like 20 quid a week or whatever scrap that because they're they're not going to be premier league
2: players yeah, and that's my kind of my argument. If wait, there's wait, people okay. but, doing it...
1: who goes and watches this guy? No one, really, apart from his mates, right? No, you get 300, 400 turn-up to a game. <clears throat> Genuine, he, like Newport Pagnall. He plays that level.
2: I played for a, a, a crap team in Germany and there was like five people that used to turn up every week to watch us. We were all terrible. All right, whoa, 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 but, whoa, whoa. But if, the, if, there's people, if there's 10 people that want it to happen and there's 22 people that want to play on the pitch and one bloke wants to referee it... Why can't it happen? Okay. Well, can't no, no. It happen can boxing, happen, Andy? Andy. It can happen. In boxing, it can happen, right?
1: Take your bag, get your gloves, go down to whatever amateur club is near here, go in there. You, if, 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 if you're really concerned with wanting to fight, wanting to have competitive bouts, that is the guaranteed way to have competitive bouts. You'll be looked after because you'll only be matched to your level of capability. And as you improve, your fights will improve. You want people to come and watch you fight? Sell tickets to that. There's already an avenue for people who want to fight and
2: are like, I might not make
1: it at that Anthony Joshua level. There's already a lane for that.
2: So are you arguing that then like uh, promoters of, and let's use them as an example, Steve's, and the other promoters you mentioned, that level shouldn't be lowering themselves to the levels of the boxers that you're you're sort of talking about? So those guys should be filters to say, look, mate.
1: You know, go and do the amateurs. If if what you want is to go and be seen by a crowd, go and do amateurs. Because for Steve, really Steve's, Steve's money, Steve's glory, Steve's memories are from the Commonwealth title fights, the English title fights, the British title fights. And if there's a world title fight, a world title fight. You know, if you listen to Ring talk, they're his happiest moments. Winning those titles, Bullioni beating Burton in the last round. Those are the ones that that's what he fights for. Now, if you can't do that, why why is it suddenly demeaning for you to go and box in the amateurs? You're boxing against people who are supremely talented. People who are hungry. People who want to who want to have a fight. And if, bloody hell, you don't have to wait three months to fight either.
2: If you want to fight every week, there's a fight available. I think what I struggle with is that I, I, I understand what you're coming from. Uh in as much as people aren't good enough. I get that. But if I don't understand why it sh- the responsibility should rest on anyone if a boxer wants to box a promoter can make money out of- for him and himself out of promoting him and people want to watch it i don't understand what anyone but has to do people put it on. don't people are paying people are having to put money in the pot because they're not selling
1: enough tickets. That's what's happening now. The, it's becoming a pay-to-play platform. This That's is fairly small hall rare. boxing. That's fairly nah, rare. But even if it no, wasn't, it's why not is that an rare. issue? Like, be, no, 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 because it's telling you, people don't want to see you. <laughs> you have, no, no, you've just used your logic and you said, if people are willing to pay and do all of this, the reality is people aren't willing to pay. That's why Steve's not a rich man. It's why Errol Johnson's not a rich man from boxing. And it's why Mo Pryor shows are basically just like a school disco. <laughs> I and, then, I, and, I, and I'm being real about this. I right? know, I know. And, I, and, you're getting
0: passionate about you're, it. You're
1: I, not going to get a better product in the small hall until you distill this massive morass of shit down into it, put some pressure on, and
2: start fashioning some diamonds. Okay, out. okay, let me put it another way. What is the motive to do that? Where, to do what? where, where is the if if Let's just talk about what you just said then. Right. If there's a boxer who wants who's willing to buy a hundred of his own tickets to fight. Why should anyone care? Do you
1: remember when Craig lost his shit at people buying followers on Twitter? <laughs> do you remember that? Craig Scott lost his shit. Yeah, yeah, And that was the right thing to do because it's like, well, you're pretending as if there's this demand for you <laughs> by using your own money when there isn't this demand for you. And that's what you're doing by buying your own tickets. Like when 50 Cent bought those tickets for the Jarrell concert, which I still find hilarious. <laughs> but, but once again, Andy, here, here's the reality of it. If people want to box, there's already an avenue for it. Yeah, you can box as an amateur. There's no issue with that. There's no difference. Yeah, You box under England boxing, there are no head guards. There's 12-ounce gloves, admittedly. But essentially, it's the same thing. These guys are doing 4 rounds. you're going to do three threes. But you're going to be pushed because the other guy wants to take your head off too. It's a harder session. You know, there's a lad, we talked about him last week, Charlie Harrison. Charlie Harrison boxes at 60 kilos. You'd put him in a four-rounder with anyone of Steve's lightweights and Charlie's got a chance. Why? Because he's grafted his ass off in the sport. If Charlie went for an interview with the board to turn pro, his record speaks for itself. He's the guy where you just, you shake hands and go, welcome to the pros. And there's no issue with that. If he doesn't go in to sell tickets and he says to me, Terry, I can't shift a ticket, mate maybe the sport ain't for you then you know go and do something else and i've had that conversation with people before go and do something else because if there's no demand there's no demand we shouldn't just be the scene that says if you want to have a go have a go it's but again i think the root cause of that i don't disagree necessarily with anything that you say the root cause of it comes down to who you know should the licensing process be stricter yep <laughs> That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, once they're into the sport, they're free game. So there were two things I, I talked about last week which were important to me. One was, how do they get into the sport in the first place? We need to seal that up. Number two, who's, accountable for the, who's holding these guys accountable for the bullshit performances in the ring? It's quite amusing. You were saying about, like why am I the one that has to call the boxers or whatever? I know, and again, look, I can only speak on behalf of who yeah. I know best, which is Steve, but I don't know if it's the case for every manager going. Steve speaks with all of his boxers within a week of their performance. Has a very raw conversation with them. If they're not good enough, they're not good enough. He will tell them they're not good enough. It's a misconception to say nobody's holding them to account. Well, okay. So why are these performances continuing? Because to be honest, like if you say to me right now, who am I most excited about on that stable? It's Jerome Campbell. He's right, right name. Jerome Campbell's one guy I look at and I go, I know if I ring him right now and I go, yo, Jay, what's your weight right now? I feel like 63, 64. What are you having right now? Yeah, I'm just having my vegan burger. I'm going to go for a run later. So I look at him, but then I look at the performances he puts in the ring, and I'm like, Yeah. Yeah. That's a kid that's hungry. I have no issue with that. And that's why he will, he's
2: eating a burger.
1: He he'll go <laughs> 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 All right. You, you're gonna see him at Steve's thing. I want you to say that to him. No, but so so you got you got someone like Jerome Campbell who does that, right? Quiet, humble performances speak for themselves. Same weight class came up. Run about the same time as Mo Garib. Right? Mo's had far more fights. Moe's boxers of high, high level, ABA, quarterfiners, semi finals been in with everybody who's a 60 kilo guy. And if people were being honest, not one of his performances has justified his CV up until he turned pro. So my question is, is someone having that conversation where they go, What's going wrong here? Because he's supremely talented. It's not coming out in the ring. What's going wrong? Yeah, Let- people do have those conversations. They genuinely do. Like, why Why the problem isn't then fixed? I, I can't yeah. answer. Because I'm not always... Yeah. I'm not privy to what those conversations... You know, the end result of it. But people do have those conversations. Because well, I- that's <clears throat> my issue. That we keep seeing the same lacklustre performances over and over again. And you're like, I'm not paying... 60-something quid for that. And can I say what resonated the most, which I completely, 100% agreed with you on, is the ones that are like, best camp of my life. I'm on fire. I'm this, that, and the other. Scrape through a four-rounder, and on the back of it, go, well, you know, it wasn't my yeah. best performance. Completely and utterly. <laughs> yeah. I sat nodding my gonna head. I'm going
2: to destroy him. Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: and I put the little devil emojis. Guys. Fire. This is all going off this week. And then on Sunday, you get the well, you know, I got through the fight. It wasn't my best, but that I completely 100%... The on only question me. I would
2: have is, I realise it's a hypothetical situation, but let's just say, fighter A, absolutely terrible, right? He's He's got to sell 200 tickets. He manages to sell 80 and he buys 120 himself, right? Mm. And he fights against someone who no one cares about and it's an absolutely turgid fight. But as a promoter, you go, okay, there's this other guy who's supremely talented, but he can't shift enough tickets. I'm going to use this guy here who's absolutely rubbish to facilitate this guy going on the card. You don't necessarily publish it like that, but you think to yourself, okay, I, I really want to give this guy a chance because he's that good. But you can't, you're you not going to do yourself out of money so you're able to... So you offset. Yeah. I mean, so, so I, I don't know I, if that happens, so, so but so it would make sense to like, me
1: if it did. I think ticket deals are going to be dead. Three to five years, ticket deals will be dead. And I t- the reason I say that is... You can consume so much boxing content for free. Right? You can. Whether it's good content, bad content, not you know, we can we can discuss that later. You can consume as much boxing content as you want for free. Go on YouTube, you can spend 10 hours and you could watch anything you want to watch. You know, you can get you can get stuff on Sky, BT. There's all this content you can consume now. Where before when boxing content was limited, were you to be a boxing fan? You had to go to the shows to to get that experience. Now you don't necessarily have to. Yeah, but most but, of the people you're selling to as a small hall fighter, they're not necessarily boxing fans, are but, they? But, but but so so this is the point. As as things start to creep on, it will just become like, what am I doing this for? You're just going to get you get that natural drop off of, yeah, this is kind of the same as it was last time. No, I, I agree, but then thing. you get the next person come through and get their license, and they've got that initial enthusiasm where 200 people might want to follow them. It's all cyclical, isn't it? It's like, but, but ultimately, you you're in that position where this ticket selling model gets you to a place of X. I can pay for this venue, and you know I'm going to cover my costs. You're going to always struggle because you're capped by, you're just capped by a. You're capped by venue size if you don't have a televised deal, but more importantly, you're also capped by what you can actually get through the door. So if you look at some of these youngsters who are thinking of turning pro they're getting turned off by these ticket deals. They're like, nah. Why, what? Not even I'm going to go to a promoter who doesn't offer ticket deals. It's like, I'm just not doing a ticket deal. Stay as, a, stay as an amateur, man. I'm earning more money as a scaffolder than, than I would doing this shit. You know, <laughs> like Isaac Lowe, three and a half grand for like a that. 12, 30 week camp. Although <clears throat> that's probably not the case, is it? Come on, man, we know that. That'd be the declared purse, but yeah, you know. That's but not going to be what he earns. But according to Hearn, whatever Dan Raphael says is what people <laughs> earn. You know, that's that's why Wilder doesn't earn a shit all, does he? Well, but, um, oh, well sorry, gone. But no, just in closing, because because I know Steve's standard response is show me the economics of the model. But you have to start looking beyond. You know, get lads into sold tickets, and that's how we keep our thing going. Because at some point, it's going to have to become about the franchise the franchise is going to have to be the thing that brings people in. And then within that, the fighters are merely parts in that because they'll move on. So if you've got a York Hall type environment and people say, look, every Friday, Goodwin puts on a show. It's two lads going at it. You, if you can do that every week, you make your money independently of the fighters. So that no, fighter I disagree. Says, there's this misconception that if you put on well-matched 50-50 shows, then the public will swarm towards no, it. It's not the case, well, not it really? it, well, it depends on how you build a proposition. But there's a proposition that people will pay for. What that looks like, I think, is worth investigating and experimenting with. I don't think there's an answer today. But I don't think in five years' time we'll be talking about you're having shows and these guys are selling tickets. I just... I don't see that being sustainable, either as a means of attracting talent
2: in or means of running shows on a continuous basis. There's going to be a raft of opinions out there. So it's an interesting chat. Tweet in what you believe might be the case. Do you agree with Terry? Or do you agree with the rest of the world? (laughs) (laughs) He said, I just got a look of death from Terry.
0: <laughs> Wait. I, I just
1: look. i just put a question <laughs> to boxers and I'd say, You're an unsigned boxer. Right now, who would you sign as your manager? Who would you put who would you trust your career
2: with? Well, I know a very good seconds guy who could yeah. probably point them in the right direction. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. He is second to none. Well, I, d- I don't know if that makes sense, but he's very, very good.
1: Freddie Roach. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then to the Brook card, uh, which I didn't watch, which will shock nobody. I'm disappointed. um, What did you think to it? I didn't mind it. I saw it one. I saw it one. That's all I saw. You saw what? They'd won. Definitely. Do you
1: know, I really, I really didn't mind it because that was always just going to be a blow off card, wasn't it? Like well, a, that's
2: kind of the reason why I weren't interested in it. Yeah, I'm not really it, interested in Brooke anymore. But but the,
1: this, what do they call that? They call it like the, the send them home card, like before WrestleMania. It's like, we don't want to do anything too spectacular because we've got this big pay per view coming up in two weeks. So it's blow off. But, but as the pay per views become more frequent, you get more of these cards that are yeah. chuck oh. it out there and save a few pennies up for the pay per view. Yeah. And so I tweeted this last night. Like, if you're buying Chisora White in a couple of weeks, like, ultimately you're taking a responsibility for you accepting that that is the standard of Sky Show that you're going to get on a Saturday night for free in air quotes. Um, that
2: I think is where we are. Right, right. Matthew Skelton asks. Um, I'll I'll summarize.
1: Grammar um, Mrs. Man. His Twitter wording
2: is making me feel <laughs> ill. And he. Uh, he sort of asks, basically, if Saturday night's regarding uh, Saturday night's card regarding matchmaking is a decent night of boxing.
1: So let's run through what we had, I suppose. So it's unfortunate Josh Kelly versus David Evanessian. Never went ahead.
2: Uh, funny that.
1: <laughs> I can tell you this, midnight Friday night, no one was talking about an illness. That was all set to go. People were getting ready. They were getting ready for that fight at midnight on a Friday So night. to give people the context around this, Josh Kelly weighs in on the Friday, Friday um, for the fight. And then on the Saturday, stories start coming out that... Um, well, actually, no, no stories really came out. It just broke that- He wasn't fighting. Josh Kelly wasn't fighting. He'd been ill overnight. He'd been ill beforehand, apparently, and then well, wasn't going to fight because they hoped it would get better and it didn't get better. Someone's um, lying because I heard it was the best he would looked. Can't reveal the sources. I can let you know that it's as A1 of sources you're going to get. I I was all set. Like, by the time I went to bed- on friday i was told i was going to see the performance of like performance of the year and if i was lied to fair play then i was lied to but bloody hell like out of nowhere so what really gets me is that it came out what three o'clock or something he wasn't going to fight yeah yet yeah, the matchroom social media account at like midday are putting out about how great Josh Kelly looks and yeah. like how he's ready for war later. three hours later the same Twitter account has got to put out oh Josh Kelly wasn't well last night and now he's not <laughs> fighting
2: I I get the carrier pigeon only just turned up
1: (laughs) I understand entirely if you're not well like 48 hours before a fight and it's 50-50 whether the fight's going to go ahead you're not going to sit there and go I'm really not feeling very well I'm not sure if this fight's going to go ahead because if it does your opponent already knows that you're not 100% so I completely understand that but then conversely don't say I'm as fresh as I've ever been because what we were just talking about earlier selling the product yeah like it's very hard if as a fan if i'm a josh kelly fan i've bought a ticket to that fight i feel like i've been duped at this point i feel like i've been told that everything's perfectly fine and then without any forewarning a few hours before i'm due to be in the arena i'm told that the fight's not going ahead because he was unwell like i will be interested to see if they remake the avanesian fight next so that's what we're told is being rescheduled, isn't it? I I have a feeling it dawned on them who David Avanessian was, and maybe not that Kelly would lose, but it would be a fight that you probably wouldn't want to take that early in your career because I don't imagine Avanessian's want to fall over. Uh, you know, he's been, and he's been in really it's a good, good fire. company. Yeah, hard fire. Yeah, that's why. That's what I mean. That was that was going to be a you're going to the distance and you're going to go to the well. Is he ready for that at a stage in his career? Probably that you, you just wouldn't want to put Does him through Does he need that, that at yeah. this stage of his career? Exactly. So for me, surprised that it was announced, but also not surprised it didn't happen. So that was the one fight really that stood out on the card as being worthwhile tuning in for. So it's fair to say by the time you put your TV on on the Saturday evening to watch this, you've kind of got a negative view of it already because the one thing you were actually looking forward to has fallen off and now you're stuck with... Anthony Fowler versus, no idea what his name was. Paz, was it? Vinny <laughs> <laughs> Paz. Vinny Paz. Five-time Paz. Yeah, it came back. Uh, but a guy that they, they announced like 48 hours
2: before the fight. Like, Did he fall over and, and wait, Fowler no, jumped wait, on top wait, of, wait, of wait, him and hit wait. him some more? Or? Uh, but, but here's my well, question.
1: Like, no. no Find the lo- clip. No, how, how long's the flight from Argentina? What was it? Was this skier over in London for Christmas shopping or something? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? I, like, I completely thought the same. So like, no, you can't just you can't just show up like, <laughs> the, like you've just flown over, weighed in, yeah. Oh oh, oh and you only found out 48 hours. No, come on. Well, no, I I I'm agree. driving past the airport is, is now. you he he in the same campus as Cam. <laughs> just somewhere there's like a concentration camp where Hearn just keeps people for when he needs them. <laughs> There's just a council house somewhere in London full of like uncle boxes. <laughs> and, and, and it's essentially council's own separate country. So her <laughs> can an say, embassy. Yeah, her can say he's just arrived in the country. <laughs> doing a Julian Assange.
2: <laughs> he's next, isn't he? That's what Kelly's got next. They're just all located in the embassies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so you approach this so Anthony Fowler versus this past geezer. and what you Anthony Fowler stops him in a round good body shot and I like the, I like the shot after that though yeah so when you were just laughing he threw two shots was it
2: maybe three Whilst the guy's on his knees again this isn't the first time that's was, this is one of the reasons why I detest the guy but that as uh, just adds to another level of it so it was it was hard to watch actually because the guy was on the floor clearly
1: wasn't going to get back up he was on a knee like it wasn't like he was falling he was on a knee and still getting punches rained in on him from above it was like an MMA fight Um, so I wasn't I wasn't comfortable with that whatsoever and Sky kind of did acknowledge it a little bit in the commentary yeah Um,
2: far too busy apologising for swearing in the corner (laughs) at 10 o'clock at night than um, this guy's a thug.
1: But look, we're getting told, you know, Jamie Mongoya got this guy out in three rounds. It took Fowler one round. Ted Cheeseman was on Twitter <laughs> the day before or whatever, going, I was on holiday during. I was, it happened to be in Mexico when Mongoya bombed that guy out. Like, this guy's terrible. Like, if Fowler can't do a job on him, then there's a problem. Um, I look forward to Ted Cheeseman and Fowler. I don't really have an issue with Fowler per se. I think, look, just get him a decent fight. Weirdly enough, Fowler's growing on me. I think I've almost gone to the point where I disliked him so much. You can only like him. You've gone all the way around the spectrum in your yeah. back. So, <laughs> so he's he's growing on me just because he just looks like a guy that as much as he's socially awkward and probably a bit of a bell, he's really grown on him. <laughs> but but you, you get the impression he takes Such his boxing things seriously. No, I agree. And I respect that. Yeah, you, you just imagine that if it's not boxing related, he doesn't care. He doesn't invest any time or thought into it. Unless it's CBD oils. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) I love that advert he did. (laughs) But again, I respect that Tony. Like I know people, it's easy to take the piss, but at the end of the day, man's got to make a living. He's not getting paid hundreds of thousands for these Argentinian knockover jobs. So if he's getting a few quid out of a CBD oil company, telling him to do a video and put it up on Twitter, I don't have an issue with that. Do not have an issue with that at all. But, on the other hand, people shouldn't have an issue if others take the piss out of it. Um, but yeah, I just want to see him tested now. Like He's had however many, 150 amateur yeah. fights or whatever. I just want to see the man in with the Numbtang. rawness of a Ted they, What They're going to put him in with Fitzgerald. He's next, got to get through Sean Fitzgerald first, isn't he? Which is yeah. not an easy task. No, the people are forgetting the amateurs. I think Fitzgerald put hands on Liam Conroy. So he he comes from that kind of... I think he probably did box for his country. He's a, he's a good level amateur in that sense and that's good matchmaking for Fowler like basically you're going from nothing at the moment which it is through to he should beat Sean Fitzgerald but I want to see Fitzgerald really perform like everything's been lacklustre up until this point I want want to know that this fight burns inside of him otherwise it's just another Vinny Paz whatever that guy was called but in theory he should beat like if you look at it on paper there's no reason he shouldn't get through Fitzgerald assuming he does and Cheeseman gets through his next fight it's a good fight I, I'm happy with that. I'm happy. I'm not happy with the progress of Anthony Fowler to date because what's was that? His seventh, eighth fight? But you see, but this comes back to the problem we discussed earlier. Well, I don't know how Andy's going to edit this, but it's in there somewhere, all right? But essentially, we have such a gap between our amateur and pro fight, fighters that we're having to put this guy in some kind of remedial class for him to get up to speed as a pro. It shouldn't be that way. And as fans, I think we're getting frustrated with that. Where We're saying, you've had 150 amateur bouts, you've boxed in the Olympics. Like, I need to see you doing doing things in the real world now. I think it's because we've been given that shining light of Alomachenko that had however many hundreds of amateur fights and then within 10 fights has had like four world title fights within that. It's not realistic. That's not realistic expectation of everyone who's been in the Olympics. No, but it's also that... In the old days, guys were ready. And it's a weird one to explain about how you adapt, but it's essentially about being able to do more with less. But again, yeah, if you look at, um, like compare the careers to date of Lawrence Acoli and Anthony Fowler, Lawrence O'Coley had far fewer. I'm sure you can probably put a number on it, far fewer fights than Fowler did as an amateur. 23? As in he, not 23 less, 23 fights. No, no, he, yeah, 23 fights, yeah. including the Olympics, something like that. Yeah, and so if you compare the career trajectory of Lawrence Acoli and Anthony Fowler to date, it's incomparable. And yet on paper, it should be Fowler who's having that fast tracking through the process. Um, so I don't know, maybe there are question marks. Maybe it's not everything that is made up to be in that in the Sheffield gym with Coldwell. Don't know. But we'll find out when he fights, you know, Cheeseman. I suspect if we find out when he fights Fitzgerald, I'd be surprised.
2: Uh, don't worry about editing, Terry. It's always totally seamless. Welcome to the New Age Boxing <laughs> Podcast with me. <laughs> um, uh, right, can we move on to Brooke
1: or not? Uh, now, nah, what else? To no, Galahad. To- <sighs> I, do you know what? I was underwhelmed. I, I love watching Kid Galahad box. Like as a technician, he has everything. Like, do you know when you watch someone box and he's doing stuff and you go, that's like boxing Nirvana. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens when I mean, an 18 stone man needs a toilet.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mine trying to get off the He made bag. it up. what you need for you, mate. That's not
1: patience. <laughs> the grace of look, a look. drunken hippo. You know, you know, Galahad's had a storied career. There, there are things about him that are probably quite disagreeable. But as a technician, like he can punch from anywhere, any foot position, whether he's on balance, off balance, it doesn't bother him. He, he gets the shots off. So he becomes this impossibly hard guy to read or defend against. He hasn't been tested yet. So we don't know if that style will hold up at world level, but it looks like he's mandatory for the winner of Frampton versus Warrington. So if nothing else, we will find out at that point how good Kid Galahad is. But in terms of this fight, it was just a mark time fight. You know, keep his name out there, earn a few quid for Christmas. Yeah, it's just good performance against a mediocre opponent. But you know what more can you expect at this point? I don't, I don't know how many more of the fights we need to touch on this card. Probably just the Brook one, right?
2: <laughs> it sounds like all of these cards are basically tick over slash boring fights.
1: Well, no, one, no one really wants to spend that money because most of the
2: money is going to go on White Chisora. Uh, and it was a pay-per-view fight, and it was twenty quid. Was Which it? one? I don't know, but P- P- Brooke, I'm asking. No, the no, Brooke's, Brooke was free. Oh, okay. Brooke well,
1: was right. also free if you spent seventy-five quid in JD Sports <laughs> in the build-up to it. They were giving you two free tickets. <laughs> wow. I, um, look, they were handing out tickets because they like tickets would like they were trading in sheffield people were making good christmas money selling those tickets because they're getting them for
2: free selling them half face value i've never seen a ticket uh, a ticket deal like the one you got
1: (laughs) that's the best that
2: is the benchmark well
1: you say that but if i went and bought a 75 quid pair of trainers from jd sports got two free tickets and then took those trainers back on sunday that's a hell of a ticket deal.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. But
1: that? that's a lot of effort, though. It is, it is I'm not driving to Sheffield for that
2: man. <laughs> Petrol isn't <laughs> worth it, even in a Prius. Uh, right, so Brook, let's go on to the Brook fight then. Well, well,
1: so there was John O'Carroll, weren't there? Oh, oh man, like okay, John O'Carroll seems to have built up this following. I'm not really sure what it's based upon. It's a beard, other than isn't it? Being like a a boxing McGregor in that he's a bit of a personality. He's <laughs> Irish. Um, he's a Hornswoggle in the WWE. That's what he just reminds me of. Just a, just a little Irish guy just floating around.
2: I um, recognise that name,
1: Hornswoggle. Where's that from? Then they used to
2: dress him as a leprechaun? He,
1: that, yeah, that's what he was. Oh, okay. He wasn't actually a leprechaun. <laughs> I'm not going to break this to you. <laughs> um, I'm disappointed now. <laughs> so I, I'm not sold on John O'Carroll in any way whatsoever, but there are a number of like, hipster fans on Twitter that are all over John O'Carroll. I think he's the second coming, um, and he's fighting some French geezer. Who was it, Frenoir? Francois, yeah. yeah. Not sorry, Terry's found Got Horns, him. One. I found him.
2: Yeah. Um, the two times that he's been wikied, uh, Wikipedia searched today. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why is there just a spike. spike in my popularity?
1: <laughs> but every time they kept saying Frenoir, I kept hearing Benoit. And I thought that's not a great sounding name, is it? Like going back to the old WWE God, stuff.
2: I don't think most Frikey. people are going to remember that. <laughs> um,
1: Google Chris Benoit if you ever want to hear a fucking. Oh, that was a story. Yeah, well, it just. Um, that's genuinely what I kept hearing. But yeah, I'm not sold on John Carroll. So he's come out of the prize fighter setup, didn't he? he? Won that and then kind of moved off to Australia, I think. And then the Declan Gerrity fight. I'm not sure what because he's now in or if he'd have won last night, it would have been mandatory for Tevin Farmer. And then Tevin Farmer, have you seen the video he put yeah, out? Yeah,
0: just,
1: <laughs> just laughing. Um So this fight ended in a draw. And if you if you looked at it, if you looked at it as a two round fight, if Robbery. You first robbery. Two, robbery. All draws are robberies. It's a robbery. <laughs> if you looked at the first two rounds of the fight, you'd say John O'Carroll's gonna win this 12 rounds to nil. Like, that's how it's looking. And then it just didn't. Like, for whatever reason Frenoir was harder. And don't forget Frenoir's had like forty three fights, one forty two or whatever. He's no mug. Um although the the opponents on the record are relatively questionable. But yeah, John Carroll just does not impress me whatsoever. I don't I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I think Tevin Farmer, if he gets his hand on him in March, are talking about I think it's one sided. I don't think it's a, a close fight at all. but i have zero interest i know hearn's gonna try and build tevin farmer into this ah i think he gives lomachenko trouble and all this nonsense no one cares about tevin farmer that's why no american promoters touched him he's he's just not he's not great viewing unless you're tailor-made for him like he's not great He's not particularly interesting um his style he's one of these You know, on YouTube, you get certain boxes where people will watch the highlight clips a lot because they love all the flash stuff. But he's not that special. But Hearn will try and sell you this. And as fans, as I keep saying it, you have to reject his overtures now. You have to start telling him, mate, you're talking out your backside. So uh, uh, on a complete side note to it, I was amazed John O'Carroll was allowed that beard in the fight. Because it was a proper beard. Like a huge beard. And I know... If we go back to the second Chizora fight, Fury had a bit of a beard going on, didn't he? And I think he was told by the board he had to get rid of it. So I think they've changed the rules between
2: oh. then and now. Why? Um, what would be the purpose? Because it gives you protection or something?
1: It must do to it. Like, it's a cushion, isn't it, ultimately? Mm, it's a
2: proper... Yeah, I suppose. John ocowell has got a proper
1: thick beard on him. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, if you're hit by an uppercut, you're immediately protecting the chin a little <laughs> bit by that, that Santa beard going on. <laughs> um yeah so I, I don't know i don't know what the rules are on that nowadays but yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not overly sold on john o'carroll um and that was it that was our undercard that was anthony fowler knocking over a geezer kid Galahad going through a few rounds which would be that would be the equivalent you know when you're saying about like on facebook someone promises this and then they deliver this yeah and on the back end of it, you're like, Well, I went through the rounds and it was an okay performance. That's not what we were told. This was the warm up for the winner of Frampton Warrington. Like it was just it was so underwhelming, man. It was the highlight was watching Fowler punch a bloke on
2: the floor, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> like, just yeah. talking about it is I just for me, just you you got the way you guys have described it is boring. The whole thing was so, so flat. Who was the woman <laughs> they had on the card?
1: Terry Harper, Steffi Ballfire. Oh, great. Steffi Bullfighter. There you go. Bloody hell, was it that bad? That's that what they had to dig up? Well, I'm guessing that's because Josh Kelly was taken off the TV slot. So you then, if you think how bad that card was anyway, you then had to promote something that wasn't going to make it onto that card, onto the TV card. I only just had Dave and Danny Murrell me- messing around in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> just... How many times do you reckon Eddie asked Dave Allen if he would got his gloves with him? Oh, come on. Just do do us a turn. We've got the embassy open.
2: We've got a couple of heavyweights you can pick from. <laughs> They're currently in Bulgaria. <laughs> <laughs> but they can be here in 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> um, so the whole thing was flat. And I'm talking the show, the the audience, even the commentary. Too. I enjoyed Andy
2: Lee on commentary. I thought he was good. Um, I actually... Yeah, I heard him recently on something else. It's Fury. Um, yeah, he, I thought it was quite good. I like Andy Lee. Yeah, like
1: him. Um,
2: but we'll see. They always start off like this, don't they?
1: Yeah, and then they get, then well, they get,
2: they get indoctrinated.
1: Although well, Froch went like rogue last night, didn't he? Oh. And, uh, so you get onto the Brook fight. Froch was just oh, going no, in. No, 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 no. Do you remember it was round eleven in the in the Brook fight, right? And Froch is like, we shouldn't really hammer Brook. And He's hammered him for ten rounds straight. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> This is brilliant. He goes, no, we shouldn't really hammer Brook. But he's been lackluster. He's been poor. He's shown no imagination. <laughs> he's shown no skill. He's been too easy to hit. And he just goes off for the rest of the But, hour. But
2: we shouldn't do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, but <laughs> be aware I'm not comfortable about this. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the whole thing, like, oh, Kel Brook, Michael Zarafa. Zarafa's known for fighting Peter Quillen. Being a stripper, I'm not really sure what else I can say about him. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? I know people give Brooke a hard time, but I genuinely think what you saw was a 32 year old man who's had nearly 40 fights. Yeah, agree. And that's what a 32 year old man should look like if he hasn't been putting shit in his ass for the last 12 weeks. <laughs> no, no, it's true. Like, if you if you look at boxing. And how many times have I said, you see some of these guys boxing well into their thirties, right? And you're like, how is he still doing that? How has he st- improved? Yeah. How are you still getting better with Brooke? At least what you saw, because I think the, the general feeling with John Fuchs is he's anti, anti drugs and all of that sort of stuff. That's not really his way of training, which is a rarity actually, which is quite worrying, isn't it? That we, we applaud. Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> applauding him for being straight up and down. But essentially, look, I think with Brook, that's probably the first time we've seen Kel Box and it's all him. And he's just shown the age and the wear and tear. So I wasn't surprised by the performance because it's like, well, what what more do you want? You know I mean, you're adjusting between trainers. Emotionally, it must be hard to separate from Dom, who you've probably known your whole life. And he was sat there in like row three. Laughing. Of the fight. Did, who, um, you must have caught eye contact with at
2: some point in a clinch. Did, did Khan get in the ring afterwards?
1: No, Khan wasn't there. Was Khan, Khan, Khan was at home and there's a video clip of Brilliant. Khan watching the fight, just looking back into the camera going, What the fuck is this? <laughs> so Brooke didn't look impressive throughout the whole fight. He's getting caught by right hands, like for fun. It was mad. As much as we're saying like that's a 32 year old man, is it the reactions are slower? Is it the technique has changed under fukes? I don't know. But those right hands that Zarafa was throwing, and he had him on the ropes at one point just teeing off on Brooke. It's not what you would have anticipated. It was weird because Kel just looked like he didn't want to be there. Even at the end of the fight, he was just walking around like... Yeah. And it looked, honestly, everything about it was like five out of ten.
2: You can understand, though, given his last, what? uh, I can't remember exactly what what this... The two, the two, two, two fights where he got his ass handed to him, the Golovkin... And Spence. And you can understand why that might kick the stuffing out of him to the point where he's just like... 100%. I've had enough And you kind
1: of sit there watching it thinking, I'm I'm not sure why you're there. Yeah. Like, because he didn't seem to enjoy it. At the end of it, you got a win. He didn't seem elated by the win. And so, is it now just ticking over time until Khan eventually won't fight him anyway? (laughs) So, I just... I feel for Kel in a number of ways, but... This is where it's about holding you know these media outlets to account. Because we've all watched the Kel Brook decline. And I don't think anyone has once asked Eddie Hearn, do you regret making that Brook Golovkin fine? Mm-hmm. No. If you really cared about Kel Brook, yeah. why would you put him in that position? Mm-hmm. You know, all these guys talk about how they're getting all their views on their channels and whatnot. Great. But you're not asking, well, not, not even a question to catch someone out. It's a real question. Mm-hmm. Because... We still don't know what that, those two fights took out of Kell Brook spiritually. The Spence fight you don't have an issue it's with. Funny. The Spence fight on paper is an yeah. evenly matched fight. Like, and it was competitive. King, yeah. can,
2: you, can you remember at the time, though, Spen, uh, Brook came out of left field because they were actually trying to do Golovkin-Eubank Jr., yes. weren't they?
0: Yeah,
2: Eubank Jr. would have been absolutely wiped across that floor, as far as I'm concerned, against Golovkin. Now, looking back, do you not think
1: he would have posed different questions but I'm sure yeah. he'd have lost
2: yeah. just just thinking back it seems bizarre you wouldn't even think about putting those two together now would you
1: what Golovkin and Eubank Jr yeah yep. yeah absolutely you you Golovkin uh, slowed a little bit uh, I would want to see that <laughs> fight
2: wait a little bit longer <laughs>
1: just I want to see that fight still because yeah. deep down within me I'm a sucker for Eubank Jr I don't give a fuck like if someone told me that he looks better than he's ever looked right now I'd go Brilliant! I'm all over that. No. <laughs> Give me it.
2: Give fill me with it. I think my m- stuffing got knocked out of me when Al Badley got shut up against Groves. I, th- I just
1: now, nah, I'm all up for it. Yep, I'm a Eubank. I'm a Eubank. Give me Eubank Joshua. I'm all right with that. <laughs> like if you tell me that he's looking heavier and bigger than usual, I'm all up for that. As long as he's kept the speed, oh. as long as he's shown me Instagram videos. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's look, all I'm saying to you is, mate, he knocked fuck out of that speed bag for 25 minutes. He is ready. And as long as he ends it on a pa-pa-pa-pa,
1: then I'm all right with it. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that.
0: Jesus.
1: I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I don't care if it's because I love his dad. I don't care if it's... I, I don't even know what it is, but I am such a Eubank Jr. fan. Okay, I don't enough. think he's like the world's best fighter. Either. I'm just a fan. But no, look, that's my challenge. Someone someone, either sit down with Kel, sit down with Eddie. And get to the get to the root because there's something not right between them. I don't know if you noticed the body language between them. Yeah. Because normally when a match from fighter wins, Hearn's right next to them. Right next to them, you know, ready to talk. But this time there was that distance between them. When Brooke came into the ring, Hearn didn't even go close to him. He just stood up against the ropes and just looked. It looked like a funeral in there. It it looked like, you know when you're out with your mates and your ex turns up <laughs> with with a new fella and you're like, Really? Mm, I don't care. That's what it looked like. There's, there's something in there. I don't know what it is, but there's something in there that doesn't sit right with me. I think there must be such a, a high tension point. You saw it a little bit in the press conference before, Anne, of that Amir Khan fight. Because that's clearly what Kel's around for. I don't believe through winning that last night as a, a WBA final eliminator, I don't believe if you managed to get Kel Brook at home and got a one-to-one conversation with him, chilled out, I don't believe he's desperate to fight Jarrett Heard. No, Babe. I, I just... I don't think that's no. what he's about right now. No. What he wants is that Khan fight and to retire, mm. I suspect. I want the Boy. That's what I want. But, I mean,
2: that I'm press here. conference... where you at, Amir? I really want
1: Brooke to have a good ending to his career and I want him to... Yeah, I
2: saw your post over there. I don't... I mean, what... I have a
1: sympathy for Kel Brook. Khan will never fight him. It was never part of the plan. But you know how Mayweather played Khan like a fiddle for years and years and years. This just feels like Khan's Genius. vicariously passing that on to, to Brook. Yeah. Do you know uh, what? I'll I tell you what I would like to see though. Because I think kel has got the best ring entrance in boxing. I'd like him to fight someone. And if they can beat Kel, they get their ring entrance. So it almost <laughs> passes the ring entrance on. but <laughs> they <laughs> have to do it in a Kel Brook mask?
2: I like where you're going with that and the feathers like, like Deontay had yeah <laughs> what they have to do is they have to wear like an empty special K box on top of their head <laughs> then whoever beats them and wins that ring entrance they have to add another bit on so in 10 years time there's like pure accessorised box that but comes it becomes the like ring. the
1: lineal title yeah, doesn't exactly. it <laughs> No one really knows
2: what it means or can track the history
1: for it. Why is a special K box got yeah. like a dildo stuck on the side of it? No one really
2: knows. Yeah. But at some point, Dildo last... Demetrius from Kazakhstan. <laughs> at some point
1: in the last ten years, it got stuck on there. <laughs> oh. But I don't know who. I don't know what you do with Brooke now. I. Do you know what? I just think that he goes to America. Whether it's on DAZN with Hearn, I just think he goes to America now. And just sells his name. That's what I'd do. Agree.
2: I'd I think well, you what need would to would be called up- then? For <laughs> God's <laughs> sake. If he just <sighs> sold his name. Um, should we move but, on to- No, before we completely oh, okay.
1: move on, Terry's looking at you with such disdain. <laughs> it was a
2: shit joke.
1: It was a shit joke. <laughs> um, the press conference after, he's like, I've, this is partly I think why, because I'm at that point now where I'm like, Oh man, I just want him to get his dream, which is that calm fight. <sighs>
2: and like, really? Because would you want? You wouldn't buy it anyway. You'd stream it. So <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> <I> really <laughs> um, wanted to get as like a not contribute to his dream. <laughs> <laughs> but others will. Crowdfunding—that's what it's about, isn't it?
1: Um, he was giving away everything in that press conference. He was like, "I'll." i'll commit to the rehydration clause the same rehydration clause that previously was causing so many issues it was like in in the boxing social interview he did with andy perable at one point he went i'll do anything for that not anything for that fight but and then they used that i'll do anything for the calm fight says kelbrook Ah, no that's he didn't really commit to that but it, it was almost like freudian that he went i'll just do anything not anything for that I can't fight, but is—is uh, is his the worst managed career in history? Yeah, yeah. Like in British boxing, I don't think there's been a worse career. Like fucking, hell, Rocky Fielding's off to fight Canelo. We were like, touching that, really, didn't we? Yeah, like just Rocky Fielding's off to fight Canelo. Liam Smith has fought for like world titles twice. Do you know what I mean he's been in with Canelo? He's been in was with Munger. Jason Wellborn fought Jarrett. <laughs> Why was Kelbrook not fighting instead of Jason Wellborn? Someone explain that. If Jason if, Wellborn like should not have been in that fight. He gave an okay account of himself for the rounds it lasted. You suspect Heard could have done more if he wanted. Why was
2: Kelbrook not taking that fight? If Brook had beaten Golovkin, if. Right. We need to rewrite a lot of history. I know, but but like looking back, what. He'd have fought Tommy Langford straight after. How much difference would that have made to his career? Nope. He would have fought Tommy Langford. Then he'd have fought Liam
1: Cameron. Then he would have fought Mark Heffron. Then he would have fought Nick Jenman. I asked for this. William Warburton. (laughs) Uh, By this point, it's for an international challenge belt, masters belt, whatever they are. Yeah. They they would have found a way. (laughs) It's still ruined. It It doesn't matter how high. (laughs) Brooke, Brooke could have fought Joshua, right? He could have knocked Joshua out.
2: <laughs> and then put him in the away corner in Argentina. Kel, all we need you to do is drop the belts. It's a strategic decision. <laughs> you're going over to Argentina. Wow, Argentina. Well, the embassy. And when you're there... <laughs> Here's this Kellogg's box. What if, Her, what, what if, a big what if, what if Hearn was the guy that
1: cut him in Tenerife? <laughs> Uh,
2: I knew it went long before that was going to come. I didn't think you were going to bring it up, actually. I was waiting for Martin. I was it's just a question. I love
1: everyone in boxing. It's just a question. Uh, Everything's see, great. It's a like, great night at Sheffield. Love you'll me. slip up yeah. one of these days. <laughs> the see, it's, it's too late, right? Because you know they can go back in time, right? You can't do me for something before I've got... <laughs>
2: Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have given yeah, yeah. it to you,
1: to be fair. I mean, I've probably cut people off since then already anyway, so... <laughs> but,
2: um, um, Right, can we finally finish with the Brook card? It's like an hour and ten in, and we've got basically the prelude and the Brook card covered. Yeah. Nice. What about
1: Canelo Fielding? I haven't even put that on your... Uh...
2: I was really looking forward to Dog Bay versus a ten-foot giant. <laughs> <laughs> That's what
1: Terry described him as. I can't remember the guy's
0: name. I can remember <laughs> that that.
1: But, um, right. Canelo Fielding, should we quickly touch on C'mon, that? Yeah, yeah. How does that end? Which round? Uh, you, I I think Rocky I think Rocky does some mileage with Canelo. I think Andy's looking like Rocky Fielding today. Am yeah, I? Yeah, you are. He is, isn't he? Yeah. Andy's got to go to Google for this. Yeah, he doesn't look Rocky.
2: Never is. set eyes on Rocky. You've Pilgrim's. got
1: a bit of the you're like a, an Alvarez Fielding love child because like you got hybrid, a bit of the ginger yeah. with the beard. Ah. <laughs>
2: seeing <it? laughs> are you yeah. seeing it? It's like looking in the mirror, only not quite ginger enough. But yeah, yeah. I see what you mean with the whole. If Rocky Fielding and Canelo had sex, one of them got pregnant and they had a child, it could look like me. Yeah, agreed. But
1: I will say, in this build-up, I think the funniest thing those guys have done is I think there's a picture of Nigel Travis with Pulev. And they've just just tagged Jamie Moore in there. And he does look like Jamie Moore. (laughs) What was the Sugar Ray Leonard tweet the other day where uh, he said about, I can't wait for this fight. It was like Robin Field versus... (laughs) Oh. Canelo Alvarez uh, so I, I, I that's block. how much think, his fight's taken off I think I blocked Sugar Ray Leonard uh, like He's I, gutted don't like him overrated <laughs> <laughs> this it, it's kind of it's not a damn squib is it because I'm sure there's buzz over in America it's difficult to always gauge isn't it how big something is in America when you're over here um, but it doesn't seem to have the usual buzz around it of a Canelo fight it's a revenue fight it, it is isn't it because like, only fought once this year yeah. So Oscar's like, eh, hey, Canelo, we need some Dolios, man. But don't forget, Barry Hearn told some dolios. us. Dolios. <laughs> Barry Hearn told us Joshua was the biggest name in boxing, though, didn't he? So uh, let's see how that tension works on I the dare, zone this weekend. I dare them to say that in front of Oscar De La Hoya. That's it. If Eddie Hearn can say Joshua in sharing a- the platform. Yeah, I, I need to see that. Like. There you go, boxing journalist. Just ask that question. Who's the biggest star in world boxing? I want to see her look De La Hoya in the face. I just want to see that. (laughs) So, yeah... I don't know, This is they're talking about it being his third weight world championship. It's always this thing about it's a WBA regular world title. Uh, so is it really a world championship? No. No, because Callum Smith is the, the legitimate world champion. But I just think Canelo makes a belt. Like, like You could give him the Southern Area title. It's the most lucrative belt in the world. Oh, I before. completely agree. But in terms of his legacy, to call him a three-weight world champion on the back of yeah. this is... <laughs> laughable almost not not taking anything away from Rocky Rocky's done brilliantly to get where he is get that title off Zoyger over in America uh, sorry in Germany and fair fucks to him for making presumably big money out of this fight because it's on the DAZN platform it's in the away corner of a Canelo fight can he win? nah Nah. no conceivable way? nah if Golovkin couldn't put Canelo down come on let's be real now agree um and there's enough people that will tell you, you know, he can use his height, he can use his size. Canelo's not a small man. Canelo is like a super middleweight anyway. He's just been... He had a sweatsuit suit on. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that today. He was working out with a sweatsuit on. So he's still bigger than a super middleweight now. And it's a guy coming up from that light middleweight He's, back, he's back on the meat again. Vegan, <laughs> vegan life's over. <laughs> so how he'd freakishly boiled himself down to light middleweight for years, I think we've all got an idea now. And then he's gone through to middleweight. He is probably a natural super middleweight. So yes, Rocky Field would be bigger. Height-wise, I don't necessarily think that translates into in the ring he will be a much bigger individual. Because Canelo's no shrinking violet of a man. He's a, a stocky motherfucker, that he could he could do some... Th- if you think Callum Smith... Rock, Rocky V Stocky. Indeed, indeed. I was just thinking as I said it, that's why I started pausing because my head was going, here's some shit puns for you, Martin. <laughs> <Say it. laughs>
2: See if you Say can it. filter them out before you keep talking. I'm not comfortable if you're talking about our parents like this, if I'm honest, so... <laughs> but
1: if you think what Callum Smith did to Rocky Field, and that's not hating on Rocky Field, it's just going back to a fact, Callum Smith knocked him out in a round... I'm not saying Canelo's going to do the same, but it doesn't give me any hope that Rocky Fielding can
2: last a 12-round fight with him. Um, Lomachenko, Pedroza. Oh, it was what it was. <laughs> You're
1: almost bored of Lomachenko now. because, and, 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 and I say that kind of with respect. Yeah. That he's almost a level above where... Well, maybe that he's a level above. It's like no one's figured out The easiest way to deal with Lomachenko is just to step into that space he always goes into. Everyone's there obsessed with trying to take him out. It's like, no, no. You see what he does to you? He positions himself. Then he makes you react and then he gets you. He gets you off balance and then you start to doubt yourself. You stop moving, you're a stationary target. He just potshots and takes... He takes you apart by being smart. If you're an orthodox fighter against Lomachenko and you just keep drifting to your left he's a lot less effective. And that's kind of how Lenares got him because Lenares would would faint to go out to the left, which would keep Lomachenko
2: centred. Then boom with yeah, the right. I, I thought I remembered you speaking about Lenares, and that. I was just about to say that. Actually. Lomachenko always rocks to his right, doesn't he? All the time. Yeah, he's
1: got that sway to the right. Mm, all then, the time. And then a little skip. He'll skip over that way. If you can get there first, it upsets his whole rhythm. Yeah, but... Easier said than done. Yeah. Go and watch the 11th round. That's all you've got to watch. It's a beautiful barrage of Loma Chin- Like, fair play to Pedraza for seeing that through, because and this was one of the points Andy Lee was making on commentary yesterday. It was fantastic. And it's what I like about having a, oh, no. a well-educated um, boxer on commentary that is happy to talk.
2: The amount of boxers that are on there that are saying something as well, like on commentary. But on so many of them say pointless shit that yeah. you already no, know. I know, I know. I'm absolutely. Andy
1: agreeing. Lee was saying about, um, was it either the Brook or the Galahad fight? He was saying, don't, as a boxer, you shouldn't try and take somebody out in the last round. He says, you see it so often the boxer tries to put their foot down that last round. said so boxers have that reserve, that pride that gets them through the last round. Try and do it in the 11th round, not the 12th round, because that's a big mental task to keep going from that 11th round onwards. If you do it in the 12th round, all you've got to do is get through the final three minutes. Yeah. If you're getting pummeled in the 11th round, you've got to get through that round and then another three minutes. And Andy yeah. Lee was explaining mentally how difficult that is and why boxers should do that. I thought it was fascinating. Great input. Um But yeah, watch that 11th round of Lomachenko-Pedraza because he just attacks from... It, like, when he says about being the Matrix, it is Matrix-esque of like, he's here, he's there, he's there, he's there, he's there. And trying to work out exactly how you would defend against that. It's, it's weird because Galahad, I was saying to Andy, Galahad has like a lower level of that where the shots will just come, they come off rhythm they come from strange positions. They come from strange balance points as well. But, if you wrote a textbook, it wouldn't be in there. Yeah. Like I, like I genuinely think Galahad's the, the last true custodian of the Engle style. Because you watch him, he'll switch. I mean, hands are low when he's moving. It's all head movement. But off the head movement, there's always a shot coming back. So you, don't, you never have time to set and think. And a lot of British boxers, they love to move around, set their feet, get their hands set, and then let the punch go. And if you're just punching in those gaps, it just breaks their rhythm. Yeah, but I mean that eleventh round is just beautiful to watch. Honestly, like if you get the chance, go and watch just the eleventh round. Don't worry about the rest of it. Um, <laughs> Lomachenko drops him twice, but the second one, it's like he stabbed him, wasn't it? Like he throws his right hand into the body, and like he just like steps off as he does it. And the way that Pedraza goes down, it looks like he's been like stabbed. Oh, like down he goes, and, and he still gets up. He still gets up, and it's just. As I say, it's very shortly after the first knockdown as well. But just the the impact that that shot has, like a little shovel uppercut into the body,
2: that you ah, it's just lovely to so watch. So, what challenges are there left for Lomachenko? I mean, yeah, what where does he go from here? He Mikey Garcia is the fight
1: I'd like to see. Garcia, Javante Davis. You could even put him down with a Tevin Farmer if just to see if, if Tevin Farmer's really as slick as he says he is.
2: Two fights to line up for Lomachenko. Mikey right? Garcia. And your and your life depends on trying to put someone in front of him that can beat him. Who are you and Ricky Burns.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <sighs> <sighs> you laugh, but... Even I, I mean, know. Crawler
1: is likely to happen. Yeah. And Hearn will pay them all very well
2: over <laughs> them. Kroller's oh, mandatory for him. <laughs> Um, so (laughs) you've seen him beat the guy who (laughs) who beat the guy now watch the guy who got beaten by the guy like why (laughs) why do I want to see that (laughs) it's so true if you follow that that lineage
1: through Um, Mikey Garcia if he beat Mikey Garcia um, a lightweight I don't (laughs) I don't know, would you say, how how far can he go weight wise? That's the question. Like now that's what I want to understand. It's, he's not gonna drop back down to a super featherweight. say he's only gonna go upwards. So Josh Taylor Let's see him with Josh Taylor.
2: Oh Terry's doing the scrunch up face thing.
1: Imagine that! The size difference would be huge. Ah, oh, but if Taylor catches him though, bloody hell. But that's what we're looking at. Isn't That'd that be if, the end of the Matrix. If he beat Mikey Garcia at lightweight, then he's pretty much cleared out lightweight. And I know Mikey Garcia's fighting up a welterweight against Daryl Spence, so it's not going to happen anytime soon. But if he can clean out that lightweight division, if he goes up again, and what, a pro grey, a huge what, si-
2: what is the weight difference uh, to the next weight category? Which I don't know what it is. Otherwise, I'd Let's say. See
1: Six pounds, probably. Was was super lightweight? Yeah, yeah, it's up to super lightweight. So, yeah, that's okay. Right, I'm going to say Mikey Garcia, if you could get him down to lightweight, and then Josh Taylor, if he moved up, or Reggie Progre, or whoever wins that World Boxing Super Series at Super Lightweight. (laughs) If it continues, because there were stories this week that people haven't been paid out of the World Boxing Super Series from round one... Um, and so there are question marks whether it's going to continue.
0: Sweet,
1: because it's, due, it's scheduled to start again, isn't it, in February and March of next year? And no one been... cares anymore. It's just become like a hard course thing again. Like they they ballsed up the first one so badly that you're just like <sighs> once you lost momentum of those finals, you lost a lot of interest in the yeah. the format. Once you didn't have a TV deal, and you can come to me and say, oh, it's brilliant, it's live, it's free on their website. Once you don't have a TV deal, that says something about the product. And great, okay, you give it away for free, but if you're giving something away for free, you've got to question what it's worth. And actually, like, having a TV deal, however significant or insignificant it may be to people, that legitimizes it as a product it makes it easier for people to watch. Anyone over the age of 40, anyone over the age of 40 that doesn't want to work out how to plug their fire stick in or uh, mirror from their phone to their TV or whatever, someone that just wants to turn on the TV, like, as soon as you lose all that familiarity, accessibility, accessibility, then you lose an awful lot of the product. I think that's, that's part of what's, I'm not saying it is dead in the water by any means because it's just, it was a story that came out on the Ring Magazine website this week, but, It doesn't bode well, does it? And like again, how much money have you lost by not having... Like You're meant to be paying these fighters. It was meant to be like a $50 million pot in Series (laughs) 1. You haven't sold the TV product to a big boxing market in the UK. How have you not managed to do that? It's mad. How much money are you missing out on... I don't know. It's a weird one.
2: Um, Are we going to move on to... Dog Bay versus the ten foot giant. That hurts me, man. That didn't fight hurts it, me. So.
1: It hurts me. I can, look, I can only surmise that it all it all probably just got to Isaac and and his dad and stuff, because if you remember that like when he won the world title, he was he was he was off the radar to the general public. Right, if you're a boxing guy, you knew who he was. Yeah, admittedly, but if you if you... Yeah, he hadn't crossed over yet. So you won the world title it. And, and do you know what? Like, just... into has been my interlude within this because I haven't got anything else to add. It took me a lot of effort this morning to find out the result of that fight. Like, I hadn't seen any of the results on my Twitter feed or whatever. I actually forgot until lunchtime it had happened to then oh. go and find the result. It's sad, really. Anyway, so... It, it is, and... And so you go through the process. Now suddenly you're being interviewed on the BBC. You're being interviewed on, on all these new channels and it introduces a new load that you have to bear going into a fight that you're not used to. So was it that he was a bit drained emotionally? I don't know. Isaac's generally quite a tough and stoic kid. He's a nice, just a fantastic young man. But the two things I felt, one, I felt it was all a bit much for him. I think he probably should have been protected from much of that work. I'd like to have seen someone else carry some of the load in that. But also I just get the feeling they wanted to take the belt off him. You know, sometimes you look at matchmaking and you're like, I think you did that to take the belt off this guy. Cause you're giving him a guy that's 10 foot tall. Like Isaac's not the tallest guy in the world, but they gave him a fucking giant. And as game as Isaac was, one, once this guy just got on the the long straight shots, it was always going to be a hard night's work. And some of the bits were tough to watch. So I, I tried not to watch all the fight, but it was tough. You know, in the final round, he's hanging on for, not for dear life, but he's hanging on with just sheer pride, you know, testament to the guy's toughness. Cause look, he's barely 24. You know, can he come back again? I think so. You could probably put him in with any one of the belt holders at 122 and he's competitive as long as they're not a hundred foot tall. But everyone knows my natural bias towards Isaac. I got a lot of love for him, his family, Melissa, who does the PR, like the whole squad around him. He's a good kid, and I really hope he comes back because, you know, sometimes these things either make you or break you. So it's an opportunity for him to, I mean, just to reset, come back again stronger, and we'll see what happens. He's difficult, isn't it? He? Because he's not commercially a big deal, and that's horrible. Uh, in the same boat as like Richard Comey is a beloved like adopted Brit but he's actually an African um and it's difficult to market somebody in that space because they're not you know Sky haven't taken them on Hearn hasn't taken them on and therefore how do you attach them to anything? It's a shame and I, I don't it know is. I don't know if it's that they didn't want to deal with his dad which is even more of a shame because I you know, reward the man that got him to the place he I mean he got to but let's not forget Isaac's an ABA champion. Like, all of Isaac's boxing education is British. You know, the Ghanaian thing has sort of come into it later on, but Isaac's British. He's been on the radar for promoters since at least 2011, 2012. It's still baffling why Frank Warren, like, hasn't just said, I'll take him in. I'll, I'll adopt it and we'll we'll go with that. I've just heard they don't want to deal with the dad, mm. is, is is the murmurings I hear. But then he works with Zach Chelly's dad. And Zach Chelly's well, dad is a, uh, a renowned handful. But but I think Zach Chelly's dad is a handful, but also a bit of a buffoon. Whereas Paul Dogbo, he's not stupid. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So so he's more, no, no, I can't let you joke my son around like this. So they're like, get him out of the room. you know how how some promoters work? Like yeah. That, okay. where they, where they I don't nicely. know him, so I can't comment. Paul, Paul's a tough man, like bro, rest assured. Um, but he's also a very sharp guy as well. Yeah, you know, getting to ten years of knowing the family, then it was it was tough reading that result because I don't think you ever stop caring. It's the thing, isn't it, where you've got dads in in corners. So we're talking Paul there, yeah. Isaac, um, Zach, sorry Zach Chelly's dad, Chris Eubank Senior. All these scenarios where you've got a dad very closely attached to the the fighter. The dad is always always going to have far more interest, far more investment. I could say to you, you're the best boxing manager in the world. But if you're the dad of that fighter, that's so different because you've got that emotional attachment. As a boxer, you can walk away from a manager. You can't walk away from a dad. Um, Or you can, but it's going to be rare that it happens. And of course, there are scenarios where actually father and son might part ways and it's amicable because it's, it's deemed to be the best thing for both parties. But if you're really, really heavily involved with that boxer who is your son of course you're going to be different to deal with than someone who's a financially paid manager. You know, yeah. Dogbo's dad isn't doing that for the money. Nah. He's doing it to secure his son the money for his own future. He's doing it for the love of his son. Yeah. And that's always going to be more difficult to deal with than he someone was, who's unattached. He was grafting when there was no blueprint. They didn't know where it was going to end. And you'd watch, honestly, you're watching this little 13-year-old kid smashing the shit out of the bag and stuff. And you'd almost just laugh being around him because you're like, He's too good. He's too good for such a young kid. You just mess around with him like, hey, I mean, you and I are going to spa next week. And he just look at you, some cold eyes like, okay. <laughs> and then you're a bit like, what? <laughs> I'm not no, here no, next no, week. no, 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 no. Yeah, I've got work. But I've got meetings. Sorry, mate. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you weren't meant to say
2: that. Um, are you happy to move on to Fury Wilder Fallout? Yeah. and there's not a great amount to talk about, but... Um, I had uh, uh, one thing that we particularly, Rama, which we have a question on, actually, this week. Um, has Tyson Fury's doping case been overlooked as per the opinion article in the Times? This is a Matt Dickinson article yeah, that was yeah. focusing on um, the fact that t- Fury had been lauded after his uh, after his draw and performance over there, and he was questioning his um, his the drug history and all that sort of stuff in spite of the fact that in the past he's also written a, um, an a opinion piece on Diego Maradona uh, having having such charisma that he overshadows Pele and Messi it's like that All oh, right, okay no double standards there then mate at all look but, you know,
1: journalists are just they're just rats <laughs>
2: exactly. they will write what it takes to get it the just, reads yeah. but that just That's why we get shit
1: boxing content. We get shit boxing content because the real boxing content doesn't drive engagement. Like if you if you look at the cycle now and I kind of feel for the guys like Coogan and Rob because if you go back a couple of years, Hearn would do four or five pay-per-views a year, right? So you could actually, like you could doorstep Hearn. Like Coogan would doorstep Hearn, catch him doing something unrelated to boxing. Let's have an hour. So it's a different kind of conversation. But if you look at Hearn, Hearns had a show pretty every week, pretty much, right? He's so, aiming to do fifty a year, isn't yes. it? So, so everything's fight related, fight week related, fight week related, and it gets a bit tired. So we don't, we don't have those sort of fireside chats where remember where they just doorstep Dillian outside Miguel's, yeah, and it was just a chat. We don't really get the interesting content anymore because the boxing calendar doesn't permit it.
2: It's weird. Just on that, why they don't like you don't. With say Grand Prix, they don't have a Grand Prix every single weekend, they have them as prestigious events. Why doesn't boxing? But they're
1: individual, like Grand Prix is a, a worldwide marketplace, it's one product within the world. Yeah, boxing suppose. is localized marketplaces. you know, we're talking about Canelo Fielding, like that's got a British fighter in, fighting in a world title fight against arguably one of the world's best fighters. It's not really a big deal over here. If it was happening over here, it is a big deal. But it isn't. It's happening in America. So it kind of goes under the radar over yeah, here. that's true. Um, yeah. It's not to say it doesn't take away anything from the fight or the achievement of Rocky, et cetera, et cetera, but it doesn't have the same impact. Same way Wilder Fury would have, of course, done more pay-per-views were in the UK rather than it being in
2: America. Um, on that, there's lots of people that were, after my and Terry's holding the fort, who wanted to know... There's not lots, are there? That's a stretch. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, your opinion on the the whole fight. You don't have to go into depth and detail because we've already had that, but what would you take back from it? A week, a week after, with some reflection, how do you see it all? Um
1: it was I'm gonna end up agreeing with Hern here about it, which you know is a rarity. Hmm. It wasn't a great fight, but it was an intriguing fight. I can't say it was a great, I didn't, it's it's probably, I think the drama of it and the engagement of it, straight after it last week when you were doing this, like, in the immediate aftermath of it, was probably different to what it is now. But but if you went back and watched it today, you're probably going to have a slightly different view of it, of if you'd watched it at four o'clock in the morning last Saturday night or Sunday morning. Um, but I loved it I was you know I was sat on the edge of my seat throughout all of it but isn't this the Hearn hypocrisy though just a quick side note on this he'll tell you Joshua Klitschke was a great fight but you essentially had a relatively green rookie against the guy that had been on a gap year making babies and fighting Shannon Briggs that's really what you had in that fight so he says it's a great fight as one for the ages but it's a pretty low standard fight you know, so by Hearn's own benchmark, like when he says Fury Wilder's not a great fight, yes, but now you gotta say neither was Joshua Klitschko. No, that's fine. I'm not saying that was a great fight either. I'm just saying to me, like it was just the fascination of it. And I think after four or five rounds you quickly established this is either gonna be a Fury points win or it's gonna be a Wilder knockout. Because when you're swinging for a punch so hard that you end up missing that much, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> like there's only one outcome here, and it turns out there was a third option, which was a draw. Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who's gonna win? Oh, and when when the draw came in, it was like everyone was like collectively like, "Oh shit, I forgot about draws." <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, how many bet slips did that ruin? <laughs> oh, uh, God. So
1: yeah, it was after four rounds you knew there were only two outcomes or you could assume there were only two outcomes and that's what made it even more fascinating that's what made you sit up even more at that time in the morning and engage with your TV at that time in the morning because
2: you're like fuck he's, he's missed so badly on so many occasions it can't carry on like that it was surely. a bit like Buckaroo on like I, some I mean it's not at
1: if you watch the an- World Cup final and Ronaldo was taking three kicks and he kept putting them out of the stadium yeah. and like you know some went backwards by accident, and the wind caught him. <laughs> but you're still watching it through to the 90th minute if it's nil Just in nil. Case. Because you know he's got that capability in his boot to do that. You know that Wilder's got ever- that capability in his gloves. And he proved right. it up until the very last minute of the fight. But even then, that momentum shift again in the 12th round of like, fuck, man's dead on the. F-. He's up. Dun. He's up. And he's winning again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, all those momentum shifts. It was just, yeah. It was it was beautiful. Oh my god, how the judges gonna see this? Draw. <laughs> it's like nobody saw that coming. So coming on to the fallout of it this week, like I don't know, I'm so bored of it. Like, and I don't mean that yeah. in a sense of I'm bored of the fight because the fight, although I've just said it wasn't great, I'd happily go back and rewatch it. What I won't tolerate is motherfuckers on Twitter that are like. He had a long count. He didn't have a long count. <laughs> Here's me filming it on my phone with a stopwatch on my phone, counting oh to 10, God. and then somebody else going, yeah, but Wilder wasn't there. He wasn't in the neutral corner at that point. So, the, the, like,
2: why do people have to fucking this, spoil the fun? Isn't this, <laughs> to some extent, uh, like an indication as to, I mean, I uh, grant it's not exactly what you were talking about, sorry, but like an indication of, a lack of high level captivating boxing. I'm not you know, I'm not suggesting that was the greatest show of boxing skill on earth. What I'm saying is it's rare that you see people so engaged that a week later you're absolutely done to death of the amount of input that's coming in would, from would around the world.
1: That two people at the top of their game went at it for twelve rounds. Signed the paper, yeah. got in the ring despite somebody telling us that they won't.
2: What the fuck are you two doing? <laughs> Why, you haven't let marinade? <laughs> marinade.
0: Marinate.
2: <laughs> so,
1: yeah, it's almost, it's almost inverted all the rules on boxing where it's gone, actually, the surprise factor can drive engagement as much as letting it drag out. You almost have, a, look, we've discussed it already, right? You got Khan Brook, the ultimate in just dragging shit out. And then you've got Fury Wilder, who's just like, all right, let's do it. And yet both of them, for Khan Brook, probably their biggest paydays in their career and the times when the fans created a swell of support and opinion behind them, came at those moments where it came out of the blue. There was no marination. Khan Canello, Brook Golovkin. Now, a sane person wouldn't have given either of them a hope in those fights, but the fact that they came out of literally nowhere... And sign those bits of paper, and then the fights went ahead. It made you think, yeah, go on, and go on, Khan. Like, you're yeah. not going to win it, but I'd really love it if you did. Like, Brooke, you're not going to beat Triple G, but I'd really love it if you did because I respect you for taking that fight and not fucking about for years over, like, calling people out, just getting on with it and doing it. I think that's kind of why I still have that little bit of love for Brooke somewhere in my, within me. That's what you liked about Fury. But Fury seems to engender people's emotions. Like, in one way or another, love or hate, there are people that are so enamoured by Fury that, like, I'm sure if they were able to have his children, they would. (laughs) It's weird. Like, there are some people that will just defend everything to the hills. And, like, it's not even just Tyson, but, like, Huey and Peter and all of it. Stig. I'm not even talking just about Stig, by the way. There are others out there that will. And there are some that will hate everything Tyson does. You know, if Tyson went and unified the division by knocking out Wilder and one round knocked out Joshua, there will still be some that hated what he does. And it's just he seems like that kind of character. But it leaves us in an interesting position. I think one that we predicted where we said there's a real risk that Joshua gets frozen out.
2: Yeah. Well, suddenly, after Barry Hearn, I mean, I realise I'm not the same person, but Barry Hearn a matter of months ago on Sportsweek saying, well, I reckon it could happen. AJ versus Wilder could happen in two years' time. Uh, like, goes to, what, this week, on the BBC pod, that Eddie Hearn is saying, would fight Wilder in April.
1: Well, that can't happen. Wilder's not going to fight Joshua in April. <laughs> I love the, um, the Barry Hearn tweet about Oh, I'm so glad we turned down the 50 million oh, offer. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what 50 million offer? Because you thought <laughs> there wasn't a 50 million offer. Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. Uh, that was. And then you get Joshua coming on Twitter straight after, like, oh, now they're making noises about fighting me. Oh, yeah, because they never made any noise about fighting yeah. you before. Your, you know, Barry Hearn, but, your but, boss, or whatever he technically is, came out and said <laughs> that you've turned down the offer. But still, you were in America... We know you were in America. You were on the West Coast and you chose not to go to LA for that fight. It legitimizes the fight, doesn't it? Clearly, Hearn's um, MO for the whole thing was, this isn't the legitimate heavyweight fight. The legitimate heavyweight fight is Andy Joshua versus whoever's in the other corner. This is just the WBC title holder versus Tyson Fury. That That was Hearn's MO for all of it. If you then plonk Anthony Joshua down ringside,
2: it becomes a legitimate fight to matchroom fans. I know it was never going to happen, but retrospectively, I wish Park would have fought Wilder. Then they would have two belts each, and then maybe things would have been easier to arrange. Because at the moment, that one belt... Just makes seemingly Yeah, the three one split. Yeah. It's, it's just getting on everyone like it's 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 a roadblock to any negotiation. But it's
1: also things. good though because that belt just goes up in value. If I'm wilder, my mindset at the moment is between Fury and my mandatories, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my career.
0: And, and I'll yeah? pick up
1: three million or four million. Yeah. But it's gonna hurt Joshua more never being undisputed. In the same way Khan's going, Yeah, I'd get a massive payday for Brook. I don't need it. <laughs> That's kind of what his, his, his mindset seems to be. But, but, but I think the thing, hopefully the thing would people take in the aftermath re-entrance.
2: is- I really would love to win that re-entrance. Not until you put it on the line, Kel. I'm not <laughs> going to fight you until you put it on the line.
1: <laughs> but
2: no,
0: just
1: on a serious one thing I did like was, I like how Wilder's profile seems to be enhanced now. I think I think you know, now that he's had the fight, people are revisiting the story with his daughter and whatnot. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to remember that, you know, at a time when a lot of the other heavyweights, you know, they bring all sorts of baggage into the ring. Like Wilder might have a couple of misdemeanors on his record. And I'm not going to dismiss those. You know, For the victims, they were probably serious incidents. Or I'd like to think they were. But if you look at that path to redemption that Wilder's been through and family values and how you're... It's like, look, he looks, he talks, and he acts like we'd want our undisputed heavyweight champion to act. Did you see him on the uh, James Corden show? Why couldn't they dress that fat fuck Corden in a fucking mascot outfit? <laughs> and just let Wilder go to town on him? So I don't, I didn't see this. What is... Nah, no. So Corden was there, and there was all this set up. Like, he was talking about the fight at the weekend and how... Anthony Joshua would beat Wilder or whatever. And he's a chicken because he's British. And then out from behind the curtain, behind him steps Deontay Wilder. Ah, Just looking Um, big as fuck.
2: Yeah. And I mean, he just, he looked like- Compared to Corden, that's quite a task as well. Yeah, it's
1: horizontal versus vertical, isn't it really? (laughs) is. It's Um, weird, isn't it? Like Wilder must wear like triple XL, but still skinny as a rake. Yeah. Yeah, he must have to shrink it in some way. He's just standing um, around like that. But yeah, no, it's great to see him getting on the James Corden show or whatever because he was never getting that before and to actually get the recognition is great. And then he's got Rogan tomorrow, hasn't he? I don't know. I think he's, yeah. Has I, think, he, I look forward to that. I think which, which will be interesting. Well, See, Joe Rogan's very hit and miss. If Rogan likes you, it's a good podcast. If Rogan doesn't like you, it's kind of like he just goes through the motions. So like when he gets his mates on there, like an Eddie Bravo, for example... Like he really goes in. The Darren Brown one was really interesting. Just on a side note, I caught bits of that. Darren Brown looks weird without any hair at all, doesn't? Yeah, yeah. Although just it's, just, it's a podcast, didn't bother me. I I watched him on YouTube. Uh, okay, uh, I, I get the podcast. Uh, I mean, he was there. He looked like fucking the guy from REM, Michael Stipe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I really enjoyed that one, but yeah, complete side note. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm so bored to death of seeing clips of people, like, recording up to 10 or people then pointing out Wilder wasn't in the other corner. All that stuff will get on my tits significantly.
2: Like, I hope they just
1: get that rematch signed and then we get an opportunity to put it to bed. I,
2: I think it's, yeah, I was going to say, once... And
1: I want them to do it April 13th, or whatever that Joshua date is. I want them to do it at the Millennium Stadium. No, 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 the Emirates. I, I don't. The Emir-
0: <laughs> I want them to
1: do it at the Emirates. Do it at the new Spurs ground. The opening, no, opening day. No,
2: that's when we're at a wedding. So no. I don't want to do that. That's day. why you didn't come in last week. Oh shit! Is that the same date? Yeah. As... Oh fuck! I didn't realise that. <laughs> yeah. Who's wedding? A- April thirteenth. So it? yeah,
1: the one that With Andy and I are joint, joint best men, men at, yeah. and I've just forgotten what date it was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think we both know who's the best man. <laughs> he doesn't listen. It's fine. I <laughs> know. <laughs> no,
1: honestly. That Fury Wilder rematch has put pressure on Matchroom now, right? Because we know that the Joshua pavetkin thing didn't do anything for DAZN. Right
2: like, now, we just need Chizora to beat White, <laughs> and then it'll be Chizora AJ or Wilder Fury. I don't know which one I'd be watching. Oh man, I'm sure they won't date Clasham, but
1: I, they better not. Now I've just realised that. I'd, lo- you know I'd <laughs> love, I'd love it, if- I'd love it if Warren and Finkel just cock blocked and went, "Let's just do it." We'll, we'll take money out of our own accounts to make it. It would be amazing if they did that. Oh, it be fucking brilliant. And as you say, do it in London. Yeah, just because there'll be enough <laughs> hotels. Just do it in London. And then just flood Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> well, get, like, cloud
0: seeding. <laughs> actually, actually,
1: what, what stadiums in, in London have roofs? Do it in Wimbledon. Because there's a roof in case it rains, it's a very localized cloud seeding over Wembley. Oh. <laughs> phenomenal um, chemtrails, dude! Chemtrails, dude!
2: So, uh, we have a couple of questions. Um, this one's from me. <laughs> um, it's fueled What's by the some things, match? But, <laughs> fueled by some things I saw on Twitter about. There was this guy that said, Oh, there's no way I'm gonna. Uh, buy a boxing uh, match when it's this much when I could stream it and then someone else said I can't afford it I've got kids and blah 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 so my question would be um, do we believe that one, if if fights were say 5 quid would there be a larger population uh, portion of the population buying it are we to believe that They've carefully analysed buying habits to establish that twenty pound is that perfect medium. The
1: price. Po- so what you're saying is twenty pound. If you did it at Fiverr, would four times more people buy it, or five times yeah. more,
2: and then yeah, you yeah. come out with more profit? Yeah. yeah. Have, have, have,
1: What's the saturation point?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, well, well um, clearly you're not going to be able to answer that specific question. No, but, but what w- do you think? Do you think? Do because oh, there's a part of me that thinks they've just gone. What's this worth to an average punter? How much is a boxing ticket? Well, fuck it, put up at 20 quid. So
1: I think if you said, if you took everything that Hearn says at face value, which we're going to have to do for now, so suspend your disbelief and we're going to go with that. (laughs) (coughs) Wilder Klitschko, 1 million buys. 1.1 million buys. If you said that every, when it happens, sorry, Joshua Klitschko, fuck. Um, If you said that every one of those buys had two people in front of the TV set, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but let's go with that. Some will have three, some will have one. I was watching it in my mum's spare room, maybe, under a Transformers duvet. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. I which one? I wasn't. Which mum? When he got one. No. Um, well, 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 which duvet? Yeah. Was it the Mega? Was it the
2: Megatron one? one, or was it the clean uh, one. Optimus Prime
1: one? <laughs> 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 I wasn't. in the wash. I was sat at home. But if you said two people were watching it, and a million buys... Right. So that's two million sets of eyes watching it. Now, if you're saying you'd have to double that, that becomes eight million. Do eight million people really want to watch, in the UK, really want to watch an Anthony Joshua fight?
0: Hmm, How many
1: watched Ben Eubank on ITV for free back in the day? Is it 10 million is the heralded number? I might have made that up. 10 or 16. Wow. It's a freakishly high number. Yeah, yeah. So there is... An appetite for it. Are you then saying 10 to 16... Say, Call it 12, because I don't know what the number is off the top of my head. Call it 12 million. Are 12 million people all willing to put fiver in to do it? Probably not. So I, I'm not sure you're going to be able to recoup it to that level. But of course, not every pay-per-view does a million buys. So then you work on one that does 350,000 buys, times that by four, 1.4 million at a fiver each. Possible. Possible. But, but you'd want to know. It's simply so. When you do the sensitivity analysis, you want to go. Okay, how many people consume it when it's free? Mm. How many people consume the product when it was twenty pounds? And so so there'll be there's probably a sweet spot somewhere between those two values where you go, we can maximize our revenue here. It's like when you look at airlines, right? If you look at a typical airline selling all of the economy seats is like a third of what you get from selling all the business class seats because they've done that pricing sensitivity analysis. They know how much they can squeeze out of business class. And it's why they've got rid of first class in airlines now because you make more money selling business class seats per square meter of airline space than you do from first class. Well, what
2: actually what, made me think about that question in the first place was the you know the m6 toll road yeah yeah. when they gave the contract to a company to make the m6 toll they made no provisions for what the price was going to be reflective of the amount of traffic going through it so they found this sweet spot at six pound well yeah whatever it is which if they halved it and they got a 100 percent more traffic through it it's no use to the the car, the the traffic, uh, the road maintenance firm mm-hmm. who will run the thing, because they want they want the minimum amount of cars for maximum amount of profit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas
0: you
1: then have more road maintenance. Exactly. Remember, so more Whereas if you're the government,
2: what you want is maximum amount of cars for it to alleviate congestion on the. I M6. think when you look at where the pressures are coming from, it's coming from fans to try
1: and lower the price, and it's coming from Sky to maintain the income that Sky one is far more important than the Fan one because you've got probably a base number of 300,000 people that will buy whatever shit gets put on that (laughs) pay-per-view. Honestly, like, you could put... I can't even think of a bad enough example to justify what I'm trying to... But you could put any old fight on that pay-per-view and 300,000 people will probably buy it. It's then how many more can you draft in that's the important thing. Um and so do you really, like, a Sky going to accept if you started playing about with the price points to try and find it? Probably not. So you just, you'd always accept that 300,000 times 20 quid and then it, the challenge yeah. is to bring in the, the over numbers.
2: Okay, um let's get on to our actual questions from real people.
1: Although one of my questions is, do Sky get a fixed proportion of every pay-per-view? I believe so. A- and so actually the pricing, they're less incentivized against because I don't think... I've heard conflicting views on this, but I think it's like, if there's a pay-per-view, Sky say, we take the first 10 pounds. Whatever it is that's charged, we take the first 10 pounds so or Sky box office take that and they'll recognize that revenue. So I don't know if... if I've it's heard it's 50% of the income, not see, the 10 pounds. Because I thought that and then I was like, I got told something else when they were telling me what someone was getting for a fight. And I got told, nah, some deals are Sky take a proportion of that. Well... Almost like a flat three. Yeah. yeah. From what I've heard, it was 50%. Yeah. So putting it up from where it was 18 to now it's 20 benefits yeah. everybody. Yeah. So that's why I, I was trying to work out whether it was just that, well, match go, look, we need a bigger p- portion of this. And Sky go, okay, just put the price up. Just go out and sell it harder. Because that's essentially what they get Hearn in to do, right? Hearn is just a yeah. salesman. Did you watch that GQ interview with him? You with know I did. Alistair Campbell. Two penises. Oh man, was it not one of the most painful like it was Alistair Campbell, the former right. Labour spin doctor and Hearn doing an hour sit down. It was almost like, you know, Coogan's. Who Cogan's, Cogan's spun harder? Seat? Who spun hard? Yeah, it was like a, a carousel, wasn't it? it where Coogan does the long sit down interviews. Yeah. Like it must have had Coogan's ass cracks in that seat that, <laughs> that Campbell was in. Um Yeah, oh man. Like it was a real hard what i I managed to sit through the whole hour of it you know when you have to do something else i'm going to do the washing up because it will take away the pain a little bit of what i'm listening to it was all just a business chat like you suddenly realized how much focus isn't on boxing whatsoever it's just on what the pound value of it is everything has a pound value attached to it and so it's not to say hearn doesn't love boxing because i think he's genuinely a boxing fan yeah but that focus has shifted entirely if you said that he started off and it was 80 percent boxing 20 percent money it's the other way around now and you, it just it came through so much within that interview it's like as a boxing fan as somebody who would do things for nothing within the sport to help other people to hear how much it's just business driven is oh <laughs>
2: um danny whatley asks Has Amir Khan completely mugged off Eddie Hearn over the Brook fight? Or do you think (laughs) Hearn probably knew from the start there was little chance and has just spun a yarn?
1: I said it before, that was a payoff to keep Khan quiet. I, I would speculate, I'm making no definitive statements here, I would speculate that Khan's wife and Joshua, something happened there, and that Khan had spoken out of turn. And what they said was, look, we can't have this going public, it's going to ruin everyone's money. We will give you a three-fight deal. This is how much money you'll make. Do I have to fight Kel Brook? No. Okay, then I won't. I'm just going to show up, take my money. It's up to you guys to manage Kel. Okay, we'll do that. Because I refuse to believe the two fights that Khan has had have paid for themselves. I don't believe that for a second. You know, Khan doesn't come cheap and those venues weren't sold out. So I'd imagine this is just a way of saying, right, we can't just give you a big suitcase of money. You have to kind of earn it or the tax man's going to ask questions. So I imagine that's what's happened. Which would also explain to an extent the whole Terence Crawford fight. Yeah. Because that'll probably end up on, well, I don't know where it's going to end up. It can only be ESPN, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, he's an Aram guy. Yeah. HBO's RIP now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you'd you kind of suspect it would end up there if that's the scenario. If that's the scenario. Yeah. And if Khan gets smashed by Crawford, put him in with Kelly. <clears throat> S- sell your name. Anything to rub Brooks' face in it, to go, look, I even fought Josh Kelly instead of you. <laughs> <laughs> um
2: Sam Khan asks a selection of questions. Oh wow. Um so there's four there's four here. So How for- long are we in? Two ten. Uh, yeah, well I knew this question was coming, an hour and fifty six. I'll so just bad. try and wrap these up as quickly as possible
1: nah, there'll be some long answers in those I've seen the questions because, <laughs> come on man my my concentration I haven't had much sleep uh.
2: will Matt Troom follow HBO I don't un- understand the context though, Okay, that's all I've got
1: Get- HBO
0: so, yes.
1: boxing so, so HBO stepped out of boxing they've been cutting their budget That'll for years
2: context then
1: so kind of after the after Delahoya, Floyd Pacquiao once they lost those guys they, didn't, they couldn't find another marquee name to drive revenue to the So they just said bollocks to this. We can't compete with the SPM Plus, Showtime. Now we've got DAZN in. This isn't for us anymore. They've
2: tried with we Kovalev. names. You yeah. just inject a billion pounds into it. It's fine. <laughs> B- billion Monopoly pounds. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> billion so, Lira. <laughs> so, so would Matchroom follow? No, Matchroom have a pretty strong foothold here. The worry would be is if the Americans start seeing the money being made here and going, actually, for very little cost, we can get a big chunk of that money. Then Matchroom would be under pressure. And that's more and more likely. When you look at how Matchroom have set their stall out, world domination, you know, you're know, now looking at Matchroom, Italy, Germany, USA. And then in the meantime, we said about it the other week, like a, a game of Risk on a, a board game. Yeah. If you look at that Sheffield card last night, if I'm any other promoter of a reasonable standard overseas, I'm looking at the UK thinking it's weak. Like it's it's the time to strike, because if you look at what's being put out for a standard product, it's terrible. Really, Um, that'd be a great time for somebody to to try and come in and steal some of that market. And and let's not forget, you know, Warren's still kind of kicking at that door and it looks like BT have stepped up their content now so I'd actually for pre-fight build-up I'd rather go to BT Sport for their content than I would Sky because all Sky is is the gloves are off that's literally all you're going to get out of it nowadays yeah. and Darren Barker why yeah, and all that sort of stuff it's not for me
2: um, she also asks when training female boxers is the training style slash regime the same as with men no if not why not
1: no, 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 no. Yes.
2: It's... <laughs> mm. <There'll> be- <laughs> the, the votes are 10 to 1 on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure with the other people can- Yeah, but my one belt is worth more than...
0: <laughs> uh, that, that is true. I've heard
2: this before. <laughs> no, it's it's a
1: tricky one. So I think generally with guys, the hard part is teaching them, right? Getting guys to get in a ring and punch lumps out of each other easy teaching them the patience and the concentration and the desire to box hard as fuck women on the other hand teach them all the skills pick it up quickly pick it up easily everything else is a nightmare like and he's just doing like an what's that ultimate um parkour yeah something <laughs> the ITV program where they- End up in the water inevitably. Now look, training women's hard because everything around the training, you have to, you have to invest in. So you've got to know where she is in her endocrine cycle. So you want to know where she is in her hormone cycle. These things are important because they affect behavior, number one, number two, they affect her physical capabilities of actually doing the training. So you've got to be sensitive to that. It's not a problem you have with guys generally. Um, criticism take criticism completely differently. So you have to change your communication style, sensitivity. You learn to become a hell of a lot more sensitive coaching women than you would otherwise. And I've seen coaches lose really good female boxers because they refuse to change their style. And so the women just went to coaches who were just, even just a bit more sympathetic, maybe not as talented a trainer, but more sympathetic and a far more welcoming environment. So they're all of these things. And then it's also being able to manage the downs. I think women tend to take the defeats harder and then they also tend to be more critical when they win as well. So it's just all of these things make it really, really complex. And I've kind of simplified it for the purposes of the podcast, but when the, sometimes these things all go right or they all go wrong at the same time and the effects are incredibly powerful. But the one thing I will say about training women, and if you're a trainer and you've got women, A female boxer will follow you to the ends of the earth. If they believe you know what you're doing, they will follow you to the ends of the earth. And that's probably one of the more rewarding parts of training female boxers. So I've got a lot of respect for what they do.
2: Uh, On last year's amateur boxing civil war, what does this mean for our next generation of fighters? Can we get an update on it?
1: Oh, go back two years. Um, There was a split, so england boxing and a breakaway group called the amateur boxing alliance so there was a split some people know the story well but i think in essence what drove it was ego so you had a bunch of old guys in charge of amateur boxing in london for ages and they were well connected in the england setup but their power was waning because the governing body decided to become more professional so you had business people on the board and so forth And these old guys had lost power and influence. So they thought, let's just go off and do our own thing. And this is the thing that no one says. The week before the vote, 90% of clubs were prepared to leave England boxing in London, were prepared to leave. And then England boxing issued a statement saying, you would no longer be eligible for the Olympics if you weren't part of England boxing. And everyone shat their pants because they thought they had kids who would box with GB. So they all then voted to stay part of England Boxing. So there was this big split in London. We talked about Jerome Campbell earlier. So Jerome Campbell was with Finchley at the time of the split. He had to go and train over at Islington. So you had this problem that everyone ended up at either Islington or Hodgson who were North London based. So now all of a sudden coaches have gone from having three or four boxes each to look after to having seven or eight. So now the development's stunted because people are you know, there's just a cue to work with people. And so you saw this. Um, Louis Lin, the kid that's what matched him now, he had to go from the Lin to Nemesis. Uh, young Ramla Ali went from Fitzroy Lodge to Nemesis. Ellie Scottney went from the Lin to Nemesis. So Ellie Scottney is on the GB podium squad now as well. But in essence, everyone migrated, but it meant that you had this concentration of talent, so they weren't fighting each other. And then the rest of the people who just got disillusioned with the system turned, up, turned pro. So if you look at Steve Goodwin's stable, he was probably one of the bigger beneficiaries of that split. Because people just thought, sod this, I'm going pro. So there's a glut of people who you can trace back to that point and then they turned over. So where we are now is the split was the worst thing that could have happened. People are too stubborn to accept it. Even if you brought everyone back together, London boxing's screwed. If you run through the GB squad, it's all pretty much Northern and Midlands-based boxers. There are very few from the Southeast. One that springs to mind is Jordan Reynolds and maybe Siobhan Clark. And then amongst the females, someone like an Ellie Scottney, Shona Whitwell had a push. But everyone else is based in the North. So actually, amateur boxing in London has no national significance anymore.
2: So these guys that you said that were lo- older guys that were losing their influence, that was England boxing? Originally, but then they became the Alliance.
0: Right. So
1: they formed their own group, took their mates with them and said, right, we're going to do things differently. So what they did differently is they brought headguards back. Um, They brought in a few weight classes as well, which made things a bit easier for matchmaking. But
2: but that that has, presumably, that's not the... Right? England boxing saved everyone moving off to the Alliance. By saying if you didn't save England boxing, you can't qualify for G. What they,
1: they put the gun to people's heads because
2: right. kids were like, "I'll leave if you." But what, what, in your opinion, what would have been the better route to go down? I think they're all wrong. Actually, oh, okay. I
1: think I think the future of amateur boxing is sort of where the small hall scene's headed. I think that's what we should be aiming to obliterate. The lower level of the small hall is what the top end of the amateur game should be aiming to obliterate. That doesn't mean you put on shows in your call or you do shows at the Victoria Warehouse. It's more about tournaments, I think, in the amateur space where you can dedicate weekends, kids are fighting three times to win something, on to the next one and on to the next one with a few shows in between. Because there isn't a revenue model for amateur boxing anymore. And that's what we need to get back. So you need to be able to pull all these disparate threads like white collar, charity, all these things, just bring them under one governing body And build from there. I think that's probably the future for boxing. But no one seems to want to grasp that nettle at the moment. So, mate, it's just an absolute disaster because it's like the Berlin Wall. You know how the Berlin Wall split families? Yeah. You've essentially done that. Like, people who are friends don't talk anymore. You know? It's it's horrible. And like I said, even if we came back together, I think we're 10 years off. London and the South East being a force again in the amateur world. Uh,
2: well, the last question is for me, so I'll wrap it up because Martin's about, his eyes are about to melt No, I'm done head. to be
1: honest. Like, don't ask me anything.
2: Um, it was purely a question as to how I, how I, my opinion has changed on, uh, on boxing since doing the pod. He knows what it is now. The politics. <laughs> That's a gross overestimation of my knowledge. Um, yeah, how's your how's your how's the politics of boxing changed his opinion of the sport? I think growing up, i i didn't I didn't watch as much boxing as as Martin and Terry, even as a kid. Um, and I it was all like the free stuff that was on ITV and stuff like that. I did not watch it as a kid. Oh, okay, all right, fine. So, uh, like, uh, the, uh, I I have a very 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 base knowledge of it. So when Martin decided he was going to do um, get far more into it, and we decided to do the podcast, it was. I mean, you probably. I don't know if they can get the original hold of the original ones, but like, wouldn't they, bother. It, yeah, it's it's awful. Um, I always felt like I don't know if this was influenced by people around me, but I always felt like boxing was shady. That was what I always got the impression of that it was shady in some way or another. Um, I feel far more cynical about the sport now than I did when we first started doing the podcast. I think because the the sports that I follow, other than boxing, are generally a lot more open, or at least they have a better your main love is football
1: right and so in the Premier League you've got a full schedule that says Man United are going to play these teams twice per season on these dates if they get through to the Champions League they're going to play these three teams if they get through they're going to play one or two you don't get that in boxing
2: exactly I'm not not suggesting football's clean at all because obviously no no
1: but in terms of if you want to try and plot what's going on and try and follow the narrative it's easy because Mm. you have a schedule in boxing if you don't Want to ingrain yourself in the detail, then you can just look on the Sky Sports website, and that would give you a narrative.
2: Yeah, what I found frustrating, I would say, one thing I found massively frustrating was because I remember hearing you, I'm saying to Martin here, talking about it, and and I remember thinking I don't know any of what he's talking about, especially if Martin was in a group of people where someone else knew boxing, they would talk about it. I remember going to the BBC Boxing. Uh, website oh, BC's sport website and then looking up boxing and it'd be talking about two boxers I've never heard of in the fight that just happened that I never knew anything about. And I thought, how do you even start with this sport? Where do you get into it? So like the politics of it, I think in a nutshell I've just become more cynical of it um however, I kind of understand a bit more about how things are made, and increasingly that is money dependent um I find it's sad that if you're really really i mean I, I agree this is an oversimplification, but if you're a really really talented young boxer, it doesn't matter if you can't sell it doesn't matter about that if you can't if you're not able to sell tickets um and I find it sad that um that you can watch absolute dross because they've sold a load of tickets so like, the, the sport isn't a reflection of actual how much talent you've got in your country it seems to be for me but frankly you're asking for my opinion on something when I don't know much about it and if you don't know that by now <laughs>
1: you haven't it, been listening it, it, hard so it's interesting because cause, cause I, mem- I was having this conversation and people assume I've been watching boxing since I was a kid and I said no like growing up my sport was hockey I was a reasonably good hockey player. Ice hockey or? Uh, well, real hockey. Brass hockey. Real hockey. So I was decent at that. <laughs> real. Played at county level, played at regional level. And just uh, politics kept me out of the England trials and all that sort of stuff. And then I've sort of drifted into rugby as well. So they were all my obsessions. That's all I thought about. It wasn't until I took up boxing, sort of like A-level time. And then you become more interested in it because you're like, oh. All right, this is cool. And then going to Sheffield University was just life-changing for me. So you imagine you're there and you're living through the Naz, Ryan Rhodes, Johnny Nelson era, and it's happening right in the city that you're in. I remember telling Dennis Hobson this and saying, my first experience of Dennis Hobson was literally, he used to hire out our student venue and he'd hold shows in this place called The Octagon. So we'd all go there. And just that's that was that's my first small hall experience. Like what's that? O two, O three, and so go through all of that. Used to go to the Rhodes fights. Used to go to. I went to Kel Brook's first five fights. So that's how I really got into it, into the the sort of that sort of side of it. And then reconnected with Fitzroy Lodge that year, and just built from there. And then it's an incremental thing because. You can learn all the facts. So if you ever have time with Porky Russ, Porky will hit you with everything. Tell you what year fights happened, who won. But to understand how shit just knits together is just being sat there listening and figuring out. Like you'd be sat there having a cup of tea with Steve Bunce and Frank Maloney of all the just random cast of characters in your gym. And you just sit and listen and take it in. And that's when you become cynical because you're like, Jesus Christ. And this is not a sport based on merit but it's a it's a beautiful sport when it gets it right, I think the peaks of boxing trump any other sport like the high points of boxing exceed any other sport. The only thing I can compare it to was when we won the Rugby World Cup. I think that's probably the only other time I've seen the national consciousness gripped with that kind of fervent optimism, not even when we went to the World Cup we just Because we normally expect to get thrashed, and there's one thing I love about boxing. I just love the fact that those highs are there, and you almost wade through the bullshit for those moments, (laughs) for for those rare diamonds of sheer quality. Yeah, yeah, like draw. Ah, but there. But that's another one, though. You see, (laughs) you'll always remember that feeling. You'll always remember the feeling of Fury getting dropped in the twelfth. And if you're a big rocky fielding fan and he did a job next weekend on canelo that's great for you absolutely great for you because no one's anticipating that he will apart from some within the walls of liverpool but if if that came off there will be liverpudlians that are elated about it and good on them good luck to them um but i mean <laughs> what was the Hearn interview yesterday on ifl where he was criticizing fans that basically (laughs) have you seen it he was saying you know we put up a a tweet as Matchroom or as Hearn um, saying like Fielding's gonna fight Canelo next weekend and then like the first 10 responses you'll get are like Fielding's gonna get smashed or like Canelo's gonna fucking hammer him and then Hearn's going "What, what kind of sad person is spending their time writing that on Twitter Uh, It's the same Hearn who, like, has told us now that Joshua will, literally his words, Joshua will smash Fury or Joshua will smash Wilder. And it's okay for him to say it about a fighter from overseas, but if a fan logs onto Twitter and says Canelo's going to smash him, that's apparently not okay. (laughs) That's not acceptable. Um, Things like that do my head in. (laughs) That's just a little mini rant about it whilst it's on my head.
2: Well, the fact that you have enough energy at this point to have a rant, I'm impressed. Yeah. Through, so. Brexit boxing. Um, Support the Brit. Are we? Are we done? No. Oh,
1: okay. oh man! I was done ten minutes ago. No.
2: <laughs> it's the grimace, the permanent grimace
1: on your face. I at had this about point. three hours sleep last night due to wife and kids. I'm knackered.
2: Uh, Terry, any other business?
1: Yeah. So on Thursday they had the GB Championships in Sheffield. Now we know we've got a touch of this. So we do so what 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 happens normally give us is, the longest breakdown you can <laughs> so so what, what normally happens is you get the GB guys up against the best of England Scotland and Wales essentially so nominally a nice night of boxing you know you get to see the best establishing the best up and comers so just in terms I'm not going to go through every bout I don't think we need to but impressive performances the kid called Harris Akbar boxes out of Bradford um Absolute class. I, I really hope he makes it to the Olympics. I think he he looks like he could do something special. So I'm a big fan of his. Um, Hannah Robinson got a fantastic win, dropped her opponent as well, which is rare in women's amateur boxing. So Hannah Robinson, who I, still, I jokingly call her the Jess Ennis of women's boxing, absolute class act. I remember we were here before and people were naming Shannon Courtney as they want to watch. And I said, watch this Hannah Robinson kid. She's special. So it was good to see her. And then obviously my lad, Courtney Bennett, fought big Scottish guy called Nick Campbell. He's based out of Jersey now. So the guy's like six foot eight, six foot nine. So weirdly enough, a six foot five guy is a smaller man in the ring. But Courtney smashed Pete, the just smashed lumps out of him. Why didn't they put him in the GB squad? Don't know. I think they've just promised a place to Fraser Clark, which is why they keep those two apart, which is a shame. It's a fight. I want to be Eddie Hearn here. It's a fight we'd love to have. It's a fight I think Courtney wins with a degree of comfort. But I don't think we will see that fight anytime soon, which is a shame. And this is the issue with the amateur scene. You see, once they lock down that GB squad, it's very hard to get in. And that's that's the inherent frustration. So when people make decisions of their clubs based on who gets into GB, basically, if you're from the Southeast, you're in a hiding to nothing. And that's... It's painful. I think that's the way I'd put it. But no, those GB Championships are good. I think we touched on them last year. So last year was the year where, you know, we said Natasha Gale did a lot of damage. This year, you know, Hannah Robinson did her thing. Laura Stevens, out of Northampton, did her thing as well. I mean, boxed beautifully. But you know, everything outside of London's promising on the amateur side. So you know, if Steve, if Steve's looking for young ladies to incorporate into a stable. There was more than a few options on on Saturday. There was a young ah, Asian girl as well who boxed. Surname was Cor. She looked decent as well. Tired a bit, but she looked good. And then I just, last thing I need to say is just thanks to the Sheffield brothers, man. Always looking out for me. So Ryan Rhodes. And if you guys don't know who Ryan Rhodes is, I know some of you guys are new to the sport of boxing. Just YouTube Ryan Rhodes, man. Especially his early fights. Up until he fights Otis Grant. I don't think there's been a boxer that special in this country for a long time. So, you know, Ryan Rhodes showed a lot of love. Big Richard Towers, as always, showing love. Maybe one of the, actually, maybe the best trainer no one talks about actually. Doing some fantastic work with his kids. As always, Chris Medley, the living legend. Free Liam Cameron. I mean, we need Liam back on the streets. Free Liam, free Takashi69, free Bobby Schmurder freely on camera <laughs> but no no a lot of love to the Sheffield guys Dennis Porky They, I mean always looking out for me in Sheffield and don't forget how important Sheffield is to the sport of boxing in this country not very incredibly important <laughs> bye right.
2: we have actually got <laughs> that isn't what I meant by just wrap up Terry to... <laughs> um thank you very much for listening we will see you next week um and that Later. and just I mean I haven't actually spoken to you two about this, but next week will be our last one before for Christmas. I assume, given that
1: if we even week. do next week, yeah, may even clock off for Christmas early.
2: Oh, okay, well, I don't know. So, be, like, there's fair not much warning.
1: appetite. Like, there's oh, we got White Whitechauora coming up, in we have Frampton Warrington. Yeah, so that's so, true.
2: Actually, I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, it might hit, might hit something around that. But then on like, right. December twenty second, I'm not coming in <laughs> to your house on December the. Thirtieth to come and talk about that. Well, so the twenty
2: third is this is, a, is a, you don't understand the 23rd. twenty third.
1: No, I'm not doing a December the twenty third podcast. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. We'll just record it now. Okay. Right. Well, just go. Yeah. We'll give you alternative endings. <laughs> White won on points. uh Chisora did well to win I on can't points. Believe-
2: that Chizora flipped 15 times in, in his ring entrance that was that was some agility yeah
1: I can't believe he carried a table into the ring with
2: him but <laughs> just
1: flip it but he did and you've got to respect that out of a man didn't you you've
2: got to
1: respect just came in on a flying table <laughs> wearing a special K box on his head you can't do that you haven't beaten him <laughs> but you've got to respect that out of a man as for Warrington Frampton Good win for Carl. Uh, it be good was. to see him against yeah, he'd like to see him against, you know, Kid Galahad. Yeah, but again, disappointed in Warrington that he came out in a dress. Yeah.
2: You know, but he said that he wanted to do that show. Hearn said he liked that was innovative.
1: Yeah. He might introduce it to his stable now.
2: Yeah. So no, enjoy,
1: like save this last two minutes for when we're not here on the twenty third. Right.
2: Yeah, no worries. I'll uh, I'll put that in. Thank you very much for listening (laughs) to especially the last two minutes of absolute (laughs) nonsense. Bye. Bye. See you later.